Committee meeting of November 3rd, 2022. We are returning from executive session where we were meeting for the purposes of discussing strategy with respect to collective bargaining. Units A and E as an open meeting might have had a detrimental effect on the bargaining position of the public body. And uh, it is 6.05. Apologize for the delay. All right, the first item on our agenda is D, the superintendent's report. Thank you very much. Good evening, everyone. Lots of good information to share. Uh, lots of great events and things to note. Um, I'll start with uh, talking about Unified Basketball. Uh, it is a highlight of every fall and to see the partnerships between uh, all of the students involved and their smiles and the, the events and traveling to other schools and participating. Um, the exciting part is that this is also coming to Galvin this winter uh, as we extend our Unified uh, program. I want to thank Coach Shauna Blanke uh, and, and uh, several staff members are volunteering and helping out. I will note that uh, she, there's always great lessons that can be learned in athletics and she noted the inclusivity, acceptance and understanding, uh, but most importantly, they created lifelong friendships on and off the court. Wonderful. And she noted that they were five and all. <laughs> so there is a competitor in there as their coach and uh, she was really ple pleased and described them as unstoppable. Uh, so kudos to all the students and congratulations on a great year. Uh, another highlight was our math night. Uh, we, as you know, have a new uh, math curriculum and uh, a big portion of making sure that everyone understands it well is the professional learning that happens within the district and engaging families uh, to learn more about it. So. I want to thank uh, Director of Teacher and Learning, Deb Rooney, and Sarah Donovan for uh, putting on uh, the webinar last night, K to two and three to five. We had, uh, I got a text uh, from Ms. Rooney, I think about an hour after it went up, and she's like, I got 80 participants already. And I think oh, it grew wow. to over 200. Um, so there's just that interest. And we know that anytime a new math curriculum, you want to best uh, support your student, and there's a lot of tools and uh, mechanisms to do that, but just general understanding, have a little sense and having that partnership. So I really appreciate the effort in doing that. Uh, the really good aspect of doing it as a webinar is we get to record it. So in the principal's uh, weekly s'mores, they will be sending out that link. So if you are not able to attend that webinar, you can access that recording and check it out. And obviously if you have follow-up questions, just contact uh, principal, Ms. Rooney, Ms. Donovan, we're here to help with regards to that. Noted in here is on November 15th at 6 p.m. there'll be a webinar for middle school parents and guardians. Uh, and Mr. Sperling and his team are gonna be working on a date on how this might look at the high school level. So we really wanna place some really good emphasis uh, and connection around uh, curriculum updates and family engagement uh, and foster that partnership because to be able to have the support during the day with the students and then uh, a similar understanding and support at night is such a big deal. Canton Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion event. Uh, this is a, a town committee uh, that we have a partnership with uh, and they involve our students really well. So this is their second annual global diversity event. Had the opportunity to attend. Um, so lots of our families and guests there uh, at the Canton Library. Uh, Gayatri Dixit uh, performed her uh, song. Uh, her family was incredibly proud uh, and it was a beautiful performance. Uh, they invited me to speak about the flags in the front of the Canton High School and the meaning of them. And, how they create a sense of belonging for our students. Uh, I think it, it's always something that noted, that's noted by our visitors here and appreciated. 
And also, uh, there was a Cape Verdean musician, Kadita Rose, who performed three amazing songs. I absolutely cannot dance the way that she can dance. She was fantastic. She tried to get me up there, not happening. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I did a lot of clapping and I enjoyed, uh, enjoyed her song. But you can see me blush right now. I couldn't even move when she started calling me up. It wasn't going to happen. Uh, finished up with the Newton DEI director and uh, Professor Kathy Lopes, uh, who just so happened earlier in the day we were in that, the Ready workshop, uh, the Race, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion workshop uh, as a colleague. And uh, she spoke at that event. And then I saw her at the event. And uh, it was really nice to, to talk a little bit. And we grew up in the same area. So she was a phenomenal speaker, talked about her the power of storytelling, her own experiences, and, and sharing that. So wonderful event. Congratulations to that committee. Uh, and thank you for the invite and partnering with the schools. Also, there was uh, a safe schools program. Um, happy to read this here. CBS students have become very, very involved in the state <coughs> regional meetings sponsored by the Safe Schools Program. Mr. Jeff Parati is the founding director of the Safe Schools Program for LGBTQ students in a collaboration with DESI and um, Mass Commissioner of LGBTQ Youth. So our students are leaders in this work. Uh, and I was sent this picture from Jeff Parati, who just ironically, he is someone uh, many of us have known for a long time. He uh, assists MASS and, and DESI with LGBTQ matters. He is just a joy to talk to. He's so insightful. Um, there's a practicality. He knows the law and he knows best practice. Um, and he knows how to serve all students really well. So I happened to have a conversation with him, uh, looking for some consult, and then the next day he sent me this picture and said, I'm really proud of your students, they're leaders. Um, and it was nice to include them. Atlas Karen Barker has taken the lead for the Gay Straight Alliance at, at CHS, um, and it's just nice to celebrate them. And thank you to Katie Lazat as their advisor and Mr. Sperling to support these efforts. Uh, acknowledgements, Veterans Day is coming up on November 11th. There's no school in observance of that. All of our schools try to uh, take a little bit of time in some way, shape, or form to help the students learn about the importance of veterans, um, their sacrifice, their service, uh, taking time to honor and recognize them. Uh, so as we did last year, I want to take a moment to recognize, uh, first of all, all veterans. We all have family members that are veterans. As I was typing back and forth today, my father-in-law is a Marine, and my grandfather fought in the Korean War, um, and I had a great uncle that was involved in in Normandy. So uh, the, the military and service touches our lives in, in many different ways and their stories are quite compelling and not, not the life that we're all living. Um, but I will say that their bravery sacrifice has allowed us great opportunities here in the present. Uh, so just want to recognize our staff that are veterans and that is our assistant principal here at the high school, Mr. Dr. Fitzgerald. Dick Fitzgerald is a captain of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. He served four and a half years at Fort Wainwright in Alaska, Camp Edwards, South Korea, and Fort Knox, Kentucky. Thank you, Dr. Fitzgerald. Justin Pelchat is a GMS uh, technology specialist, served as an Army Sergeant for eight years, stationed in Newport, uh, and then uh, was involved as a radio operator and signal support specialist, deployed in Operation Enduring Freedom at the Horn of Africa, 2013-2014. Uh, thank you, Justin Pelchat. Katie Healy, our CHS robotics teacher, uh, graduated from the U.S. Coast Guard Academy and served in the Coast Guard and acting duty for 10 years and a reservist for three years. Uh, Captain Lieutenant Healy captained many uh, of the ships, the cutter ships, 
uh, up and around uh, Portsmouth, Virginia, um, all the way through New York City. Uh, and I think, if I remember correctly, yeah, I served on the Coast Guard, uh, kind of bittersweet in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. If you've ever been to Woods Hole, it has a great presence for the, the Coast Guard. So thank you, Lieutenant Katie Healy. Uh, and Eric Kasevich, he's our CPS uh, resource officer, uh, and he oversees all of our elementary schools. Uh, he went in right after high school, 2003, spent eight years in the Army, serving as a medic and rank of sergeant, and was stationed at Fort McCoy, uh, Wisconsin, Fort Sam Houston, Texas, and Fort Benning in Georgia. Eric spent five months in Kuwait. From Kuwait, he got deployed to Iraq uh, during Operation Iraqi Freedom from August 2006 to 2007. He was honorably discharged in 2012 uh, and soon after joined the Camp Police Department. So thank you to all of our veterans on staff. Uh, we will certainly recognize them leading up on that day. Also, uh, as far as a recognition month, American Indian and Alaska Native uh, Heritage Month. Uh, during this month, we recognize and pay tribute to the diverse cultures and traditions of the Native people and acknowledge their important contributions. If you click on that link that's embedded in the report, you can see some of those uh, the, the cultural elements and also some of their contributions over time. Updates here, this is out of the nursing office. Uh, it regard, in regard to the at-home COVID-19 distribution. So we received an email from DESI uh, saying that uh, in partnership with the Executive Office of Health and Human Services in DESE, they were providing districts uh, some at-home kits around Thanksgiving time and around the winter break. This is completely voluntary. Um, you know, for some families, it, it is incredibly important to monitor uh, their medical status. And I thought it was a nice offering by uh, this department in DESE. Completely voluntary. There's going to be a letter that goes out if you would like to opt in. We're going to make some arrangements so these get in the hands of everyone at no charge. Um, and I do think from what I, what I read is they have to be used within this time frame of uh, Thanksgiving and then December as well. Um, I will check the expiration dates, but there was some time at the end of January, I think that's when that would happen. So that's going to be an offering for our families. Canton Stock is coming up. This is an amazing, amazing event. It's from 12 to 4. I hope many families participate in it. It showcases our, our students uh, pre-K to 12. They're incredibly talented. Uh, I know parents and, and guests and, and guardians and all of our families, they walk around with this incredible smile on that day because they're very, very proud. Either the performance is upcoming, uh, the games and activities that are happening. It's just, it's a really great environment. Um, as I think the article in the paper said today, it's like Woodstock without the rain, mud, and, and chaos. It's, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> it, it's a very creative writer there. Um, it's, uh, it is a wonderful, unique uh, to Canton event. We hope that everyone attends. Um, it's a partnership between the schools and music council. We support them fully. Our school safety drills. Uh, we go through our progression of fire drills, our shelter in place, and then our lockdown drills. We have completed all of those on schedule uh, through the year. We know based on the many events that uh, that unfortunately our, our colleagues and our um, other school communities around the country face, uh, you have to be prepared uh, for, for safety matters. And uh, we take it very, very seriously. Our partnership is strong with the Camp Police Department and our drills have happened. With that said, you have to stay vigilant. 
So one of the things that we instituted this year is just walkthroughs with our SROs and our administrators to take a look at the building and look at through things through the lens of a police officer. And we look at egresses, communication lines, videos, um, best practices, try to be available for folks that might have questions. That was starting at the start of the year. Now that all of our drills are done, we have asked our SROs to make another time where they do a walkthrough with another administrator just to keep getting a sense of the building. Um, we don't want events around the country uh, or, or anything that, that's happening here for us to have a lag in us examining our facilities and having utmost practices that are, that are safe. So that's ongoing uh, in conjunction uh, with the, the police chief Rafferty. Uh, all of that has been a great partnership that we hope uh, instills great security but constant improvement and vigilance. We have the National Honor Society for Indicators of Excellence. We have National Honor Society induction that's happening on Wednesday, November 9th, next week. That's at 6.30 in the CHS Auditorium. Uh, that is in recognition of scholarship, leadership, character, and community service. It's a, it's a great moment of all of those pillars that they're recognized. There's initial eligibility around GPA, and then just being a well-rounded community member and demonstrating leadership. So congratulations to all those folks that are going uh, into the National Honor Society for that induction and wishing Mr. Sperling uh, and his team the best on that ceremony. We will see you there. Another great uh, moment that was sent out today and, and actually is in play, field hockey is playing right now, is the playoffs have started uh, for our teams. And we had four of our athletic teams make the MIA playoffs. Uh, we have four home games that are happening. Uh, we were talking a little bit prior to the meeting. If you click on Mr. Erickson's uh, blog, the athletic blog, you will see a great run through with some pictures and links to the brackets and it's all really clear around things. And we really sent it out to the whole community because we know it's a, it's a, it's a really cool, passionate uh, community event if folks go and they support their role models and some of the high school students that are engaging and there's nothing better than tourney time. So good luck to all the Bulldogs. Uh, I had the pleasure of visiting the Rodman Pre-K and you see some of the pictures there. Um, We've, we've talked about purposeful play here, and we've talked about the level of intervention that needs to happen to really support all the students uh, across all of our grades, but especially in the pre-K program. And after walking the classrooms with uh, Donna Kilday, our director, who's doing a fabulous, fabulous job, uh, I said, they, that staff must be exhausted. Exhausted. Just watching them be attentive to it. And we have, we have some staff here. It goes up all the way through um, all of our different grades. If you do the job right, if you're really attentive and doing the interventions and differentiation right, and just enjoying the students, you go, oh, you must be just exhausted. Um, so I just wanted to recognize that publicly. Uh, and um, for someone that, that taught and at a different level, I, I always have appreciations when I walk into these spaces and you know, kids that don't even know yet, just bowling you over and hugging you and running and rolling and, and you sit there and you just, you look at the teacher and like, I have a whole new appreciation for you. So um, I wanted to say that publicly. The kids were wonderful, of course, um, and, and feel really uh, honored to have that type of program in this district because it's the foundation of all the years ahead. So with that, um, just some events coming up, as I said, this Saturday, Canton Stock. We have no school on November 8th. Uh, there are elections that are happening here on site, as usual. 
Uh, we have full day PD for our staff on that. November 11th, no school. Mm -hmm. November 17th uh, is our school committee meeting, 6 p.m. here. Then November 18th, this is a pay attention one as far as pre-K to eight. High school is a full day. There's conferences on the day at those different levels. Uh, and then we're really looking forward to the November 18th to 20th. That's the fall play here in the auditorium. 7 o'clock on the 18th and 19th, 2 o'clock on the 20th. That's my report. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. There's so much talk in there. Uh, really excited. Uh, I noticed we also want to say that November 23rd is Thanksgiving break. Yep, that's on the back. Thank you. <laughs> and November 24th and 25th would be also Thanksgiving break. Yep. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Any questions or uh, comments from the school committee? I just have a question, actually. Sure. Um, I know, so Tuesday, this coming Tuesday is a full day of PD. Yep. Could, um, could the school committee be sent sort of what's happening that day? I mean, it's a full day. I'm sure there's a lot going on for our teachers yeah. and for educators. So um, that maybe is an action item. If we could get um, really an agenda or something. I, I'd love to know what's happening at the different schools and yeah. and uh, just get a sense of, of really what our teachers are learning. So that would be very helpful. I'll give you a snapshot right now that, that in the morning uh, there was a lot of survey data and then also our professional learning council asked for some um, whole, group, whole group, whole district uh, PD. There's something community-based with that. Uh, Sarah Shannon is going to be uh, sending out an email that, that talks about that. And the focus is going to be aligned with our goal around uh, instruction and the beginning uh, opportunity and her, her email will outline it. It's going to be a very authentic um, activity that allows our staff to take a look at the tasks and lessons that they create under the auspice of the quality of the task predicts the, the quality of the performance. Um, and kind of engaging and, and building that out and really furthering our discussion and understanding around uh, high-quality instruction and using some collaboration time to do that. So from there, uh, without getting into too many particulars in the middle, um, there's then going to be, they're going back to their departments. Um, and that's going to be a wide range of different activities, mm -hmm. and I can get more specific later great. on with that. Perfect. That'd be okay. great. Thank no you. Problem. Awesome. Terrific. I mean, that might be something that in the future we could do as a highlight in our... Um, Superintendent's report. If it's coming up, we could just add it as maybe an indicator of excellence or something. Sure. What's going on? Yeah. That, that might be interesting to all. Yeah. A couple of things. First of all, I attended uh, the three through five grades three through five math night last night. Thank you so much. I thought it was so superbly done right from the beginning of the explanation of um, what was being considered for the programs, the full process, the overview of all the considerations, what was recommended from different groups, what wasn't recommended, what didn't rise to being recommended, um, and, and then just a full description of everything. I thought it was really um, eye-opening, but yet to the point. <laughs> there wasn't superfluous things, but it was all very meaningful. And I also love, as you mentioned before, Superintendent, um, that it's recorded, So, and I know you mentioned last night on, on that as well. Um, for anyone that wasn't able to attend, but it will be in the s'mores from the principals for it. So thank you to both of you that led that. I thought it was exceptional. And I know there'll be a follow-up to the materials for it. So that was one of the things I had. Um, for MIA tournament time, I just have to add to it that all these first four games start in Canton. So no excuses for people not being there to cheer them on. <laughs> Okay, that's, that's great. Thank you for those. <laughs> Other questions or comments? All right. Hearing none, let's move on to the next item on our agenda, which is E, our teaching and learning report. We have Miss Jackie Abrams here, along with some 
other colleagues and uh, folks to talk to us about changes in the dyslexia screening laws and also to share updates to the literacy curriculum. Welcome. I brought um, some guests with me, uh, Ms. Samira Morat, kindergarten teacher at the JFK, and Ms. Libby Dixon, also a kindergarten teacher at the JFK. So they're going to sort of help me out here tonight. Um, it's nice to see you all again. I'm here with some new information related to some updates on the dyslexia screening legislation. Um, recently, Massachusetts approved changes to General Law Chapter 71 related to how do districts screen for students who may be at risk for dyslexia. So I mentioned at a previous meeting, the screening doesn't identify students with dyslexia, doesn't diagnose, but it definitely does um, look for students who may indicate potential signs of being at risk for dyslexia. Some of those indicators include the ability to rapidly name things like pictures, colors, or the names of letters, also um, specific weaknesses in the area of phonological awareness, so the ability to manipulate sounds, um, discriminate between sounds. And so that law had been in place previously, um, and now the ch I just want to highlight the specifics of the changes to the law that will be in effect as of July 1, 2023. So previously it was all students K through 2 must be screened two times a year. The law as of July 1 will require that all students K through 3 are screened two times a year. Um, a new change is that parents must be notified within 30 days of the screening. Um, and then the screening, this isn't part of the new law, it's just I thought it would be helpful for you to know that the, the questions that we're really charged with answering is who is at risk in our district, how significant is the risk, and which skill areas need support. Um, and so in Canton, I thought you might be interested to know sort of where we're at and what we're doing. Um, we use the STAR assessments, which you're probably somewhat familiar with from Renaissance. Um, our screening happens three times a year in the fall, winter, and spring, so we are actually sort of a, ahead of that game in that um, the law is twice, but we do it three times. And then following the screening window, we are just in a pattern here um, where we do send home the STAR parent reports. So that's something that we already have in place um, in terms of notifying you um, or people at home if your child is at risk. Um, and then students, there's this whole process without getting into too many details in this short amount of time. Um, the students who show up on our universal screener, so like a STAR early literacy test or a STAR reading test, if they have not reached a certain proficiency level, that sort of activates this additional battery of screening or testing called CBMs or curriculum-based measures. And those CBMs help us gather more specific information on which of those areas that we named, whether it's rapid naming, phonological awareness, phonics. So that same CBM is also what we use for a progress monitoring tool that once students are identified as at risk and in need of intervention, we are able to monitor that progress by um, re-administering CBMs over time. Um, and then the next steps in terms of like compliance for us is just continued collaboration with the Student Services Department. Um, just fine-tuning what is our Canton Dyslexia Screening Protocol and, and what is the clear process in making that transparent for students who are not making sufficient progress after a certain number of cycles of intervention. Um, so that's the update on the law. And the next part, we're going to kind of shift gears into talking more about foundational skills. So any questions there on that first part? Do you want us to ask questions now or after oh, yeah. the process? 
Um, and that was a lot related to the law, so we can come back to it. I can just keep What do you going. suggest? I'm afraid that you might forget the questions that okay. related to this, so I'm okay. Okay, yeah, let's, let's okay. feel some. Can I go? Yes, okay. please. <laughs> so I had one question. You mentioned that we go up to third grade moving forward. What happens beyond third grade? That's or why question. do we stop at third grade? Is there a reason? So the law only requires up to third grade. In Canton, our STAR assessment universally screens K through 5. So the same assessment that we use to universally screen K through 3 actually just gets administered to our students in grades 4 and 5 anyway. Okay. Um, and actually our protocol or process here in Canton is that if students don't meet the proficiency level and score green on that universal screener, that we just require that the students are given CBMs anyway. So. I guess until you ask that question, I'm like, well, we actually do the same thing for fourth and fifth, um, but the law only requires K through three. So I think that's relevant and really good to know. Thank you for yeah. sharing because if we're taking care of the kids that would be outside of the law and giving that extra two years mm -hmm. of just screening, I think that's great. And the purpose of the law is to avoid the wait to fail. So, like, in a well-functioning system, you don't, you wouldn't need to wait and screen as late as fourth and fifth grade because you are doing such a thorough job of screening in K-1, 2, and 3 that um, you would have found everybody and, and made a plan for them. So that is the purpose of why the law is sort of in place and that the regulations are becoming a little bit more um, strict. Thank you. How okay. does, oh. on the, sorry, <laughs> on the STAR assessment, and I think you j just answered this a little bit on the STAR assessment, how does it point out particularly that need? Is it on the overall score that that's, kind of the, um, the trigger, I guess? That's a good question. So the best way to describe it, what I tell teachers, the way I think about it, the easiest way to explain it, is that the STAR test that the kids go on and take online is like a, temper a thermometer. So you'll get a parent report that says your child has scored at such an, a scaled score of, and there'll be some number. That number is less important than the proficiency level. It'll say, like, the proficiency level is the 46th percentile. And what that tells you is that your student um, is scoring better than 46% of students who take that same test in the fall of that same grade, that same year. Um, and then there'll be some descriptors in the parent report that tell you a little bit about what that means. So we administer that blanket universal screener, which is before those curriculum-based measures. For anyone who pops up as sort of like having a temperature or not being at a certain proficiency level, that sort of activates this next layer of screening, which involves everybody pulling those children individually and administering the curriculum-based measures to find out why is it that they're being flagged at such a proficiency level? What are the underlying areas that are sort of causing trouble? Yes, please. Okay. Um, I have a follow-up question to what you were describing. So what happens for children that might be flagged, but maybe not for dyslexia, but for other reasons? Could be that they're not proficient in English, or other reasons that they might be flagged. So it's kind of a complicated answer. Um, the first part is we don't take children to intervention in Canton or any district that I've worked in that is like, you only get to come if you look like you're at risk for dyslexia for reading support. You get to come, if your data indicates that you're not at a certain proficiency level, you make a good candidate for someone to intervene with your reading abilities. Um, it may be because you're demonstrating some areas that indicate you could be at risk. It may be for other areas like you're a newcomer and um, the services you're getting from the multilingual teacher, uh, we happen to have extra spot available and you would benefit from a double dose. So. Um, I guess the, 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 
The short answer is that we tend to just take anybody in who is demonstrating need, a database need. It just so happens that the needs that are showing up also happen to be sometimes um, the, the factors that could make someone potentially at risk for dyslexia. The, the difference is looking at the response to interventions. For some students who enter intervention and we monitor their progress, we see a response to intervention. And then for other students, we see less of a response or not the sufficient project process progress that we want. And then we might connect with student services department after a certain period of time and say, what are the next steps that need to be taken for this particular job? Awesome. And my, my quick question um, it is a two-parter. So one, I just want to confirm, have we been doing the STAR assessment since is it 2019? Sounds years. right. I was a JFK reading specialist when? Okay. Third year. Okay, perfect. Um, so I'm just wondering, is there any way to know, um, obviously, from the before, this, you know, changeover and different folks involved and all, is there any way to know or do you have a feeling that this, um, this method that we're using now is identifying more students who are um, of high need or dyslexic? Like, it, what's the efficacy of this program um, versus maybe what we had in the past? Well, we didn't have anything in the past, so, that, so that's step one, is that we now have a system. And when I joined my literacy leader group of the 351 districts who are also sort of mandated by DESE, to, it has to be a, a screener that's approved, um, that meets or partially meets, and, and STAR is one of those. So all of these districts that are using STAR have been using it like around the same amount of time as us. So everyone's sort of like working up the kinks, which CBMs do we need to add, which CBMs do we need to take away. Um, one of the small changes we made this year compared to last in CBMs is like a tiny detail, is we, in the beginning of the year in kindergarten, to kind of give these folks a break with the new B five-year-olds and acclimating, we just are administering the rapid naming CBMs. Um, those are the highest sort of red flag alert alert. So they do those first three, and then for the winter and spring, we administer the full battery, which satisfies that legal requirement of twice. The extra one that we were doing in Canton, we realized let's not ask that heavy of a demand for both students and teachers at the beginning. It was like felt developmentally not really the right time. So we're kind of learning to use the tool better. Um, and then the last piece I forgot to mention, but Mr. Colgan and I are meeting, you'll hear about this later. So after all the screening happens, like he, I sort of say like, I have this idea, can you build it? And then he builds it. And so he'll have a repository where he will be like mining the data so that once we do the screening, he'll be able to keep us a house, a system where we see sort of trends over time, how many kids were at risk in this year, what does that mean, and how does implementation of new curriculum, which was the next item on my update, um, how does that impact who shows up at risk or not? Perfect. I think that's exactly what we'll be interested in year over year is just, um, you know, how we're doing and then what ideas and programs are in place to drive the progress. So thank you. All right. Any other questions? We can go to the next topic. Okay, I'll try to be quick here, but this is like my most exciting update. I'm really proud of um, these ladies and, and our teachers in kindergarten in our town. Um, so I talked a lot about how the CBMs and the screening is all about foundational skills and how important you know the science of reading is and what we now know about um, how important it is that we get it right in kindergarten and first grade in terms of uh, the right instructional practices, the right instructional materials. And so we've made all these investments, both um, financially in resources and in professional learning for teachers related to like how, what do we do to make sure that the students, our youngest learners, are really um, 
their practice and what they receive and what they do inside their classrooms is matches what we know about how the brain learns how to read. And that that process is not natural, um, it doesn't develop the way that we learn to speak, and that certain actions have to take place in order for a child to learn to read. Um, some of those quick purchases and investments include decodable text in all of our classrooms, um, kindergarten through second grade, so that any teacher who has any student who might show a need for needing to read, um, have extra phonics practice and read decodable text that's now available in each classroom. Our professional learning continues to match, you know, are we doing the right assessments that match the right tools and are we monitoring progress to see if we got the match right and if we didn't get the match right, what's the next tool we should try. And then last year, um, we had this crazy idea that we were going to launch like a new curriculum resource in for our tier one, which means all of our students in all of our kindergarten and first grade classrooms would experience um, what we have kind of fondly coined this Canton Seeds, we kind of call it a curriculum resource. Um, last spring, DESE, the Department of Ed announced that they were going to release to us, this is about May, they did a webinar saying they were gonna release um, a free open source curriculum called Apple Seeds. And I look at Mr. Marshall, because it is free, um, it just requires you to print a whole bunch of things and put them together and manufacture them and distribute them. But we weren't quite sure when Apple Seeds was going to be released. And my reading specialist team and I, who I just, they're the best, they go along with my ideas. And I said, we knew Apple Seeds came from Tennessee. Um, there's all this evidence from the Tennessee Foundational Skills Curriculum where Tennessee had said, look at what we're doing, this is really working, and the Department of Ed of Massachusetts said, we can't refute this evidence, we're gonna do this too, we're gonna let you know when it gets released, it might be late July. That felt like no one was really here, and I was here, but like no one here, it just felt like the timing wasn't right. So we mined the Tennessee materials, we pulled out what we knew we needed, and we left behind what we knew we didn't need because we already had curriculum places, and we jokingly called it um, Canton Seeds. And we pushed it out to teachers, and these two ladies are here tonight because what they did, which was extremely helpful, um, I wanna publicly thank you for taking the time and uh, again, making this accessible. They built slide decks. Um, COVID really refined everyone's technological skills, and they made these beautiful slide decks that were shared out to all 12 kindergarten teachers, first grade could have access if they wanted to, but it was really geared towards kindergarten. And these slide decks just made it smooth and easy implementation of this foundational skills curriculum it taught specifically and explicitly what's the letter, how do we form it, which direction do we make the lines, and when we make this letter, what sound does it make, and repetition, repetition, repetition. And I included in your packet just the impact of this work, it was the work of a lot of people, um, it just solidified that like phoneme graphing connection that kids need to get going with the, the before the reading part. Um, and that was a one, this is when we use more at students in your packet, um, that was one month difference. They came in and the child wrote his name, that was the left image in September 8th, I believe it was. And October 8th, after one month of um, can't seed slide decks and fabulous teaching and lots of learning, um, it was really impressive um, what the child was able to do, he wrote. I was playing inside with my cars, with my family, and then I cleaned up at the end, the end really the end. Um, and so goosebumps for a kindergarten teacher. Yeah, I mean, anything you want to say about your work with Canton Seeds or what, anything, any? Uh, we definitely loved it. And we didn't love it at first. When we first opened the binder, we thought, oh boy, you know, how are we gonna put this in? And so we started building these slide decks and 
the difference that we see this year, it's going to be fascinating to see. Um, these kids really need explicit how to hold your pencil, how to sit in your seat properly, how to sit to write, how to have your paper tilted, um, tilted. and then the big difference we were saying to Jackie and Debbie at the hallway that we've noticed, it's really interesting. These kids understand letter sounds better than I've ever experienced. Usually and, we see like at the end of the year, I'd be happy seeing a kindergartner who came in not wanting to hold a pencil, now able to, like we haven't even taught finger spaces yet. And there, he wrote so much, it's like amazing. We actually are finding, we <laughs> sat down together over lunch at the beginning of the week and said, we haven't taught finger spacing yet because we usually don't have them writing words yet. So we usually don't have to teach finger spacing and now all of a sudden they're writing these volumes with no spaces. We need to teach finger spacing. You know, it's, they're really doing an amazing job of sounding out and doing, the Canton Seeds has really cool projects for them that the kids would actually, every day when the Canton Seeds slides came up, they were excited and on the last day I said, it's lesson 31, the last Canton Seeds. They went, no, you know, they love it. So it's, you know, I'm happy that we did it. It had an infusion of lively letters built in yes. there, which is just, um, how just to just move your mouth. What your mouth supposed to do. So it's just really great. I thought that would be a nice update for you guys to hear as we're talking about the importance of foundational skills um, in, for our youngest learners. Any questions that's about amazing. that? Uh, no, but wow, that's really, that's really cool. I'd love to see it. Um, questions, comments from the committee? Yeah, I have a couple questions. Um, so thank you for coming before us tonight. In terms of the, the purchase of decodable text, the reason I ask this question is one of school committee's jobs is to review the warrant. So I've had some conversations with Mr. Marshall about um, different things that we're purchasing. So maybe this is a, a, a conversation for another evening, but I'm curious in terms of um, the supplemental text we're purchasing, is that to complement the Readers and Writers Workshop? Is this the phonics piece that we're talking about? I want to make sure I fully understand your question. Uh -huh. So you're asking where does the decodable text live within the Readers Workshop? Yes. Yep. Okay. So decodable text is the first type of text, like when you're, when you're learning the code, mm -hmm. you should be applying it in text that's controlled. And right. another synonym for controlled text is decodable text. So what we found is that our schools didn't, they had, we had more predictable pattern text mm -hmm. in a lot of our buildings, like the books that, I mean, they were very popular in lots of schools for lots of years, like I like the bat, I like the ball, I like the sun. That's a predictable pattern text. When you put that, I like spaghetti. When you put that in front of a non-reader, um, spaghetti's gonna pose a problem, right? So the decodable text, the teachers didn't have something mm -hmm. instead to offer. Mm -hmm. So those, we call it like the teacher table. So those materials now live in each classroom, kindergarten, first, second grade, at the teacher table. Mm -hmm. So that in kindergarten, we actually didn't buy any um, level text for them this year because we had enough. We only bought decodable so that those are our youngest students who know the least amount about the code. So after the teacher does a mini lesson in Reader's Workshop about the importance of having stamina when you read, what we put in front of kids to go and read is actually different with the, because we're able to purchase this type of um, material. Yeah. So I'm curious, and this is going up through K-2, what about our older readers? How are we supplementing? Are they getting decodable text? Or what, what do you do for the older readers? Because again, that third grade is that turning point. Yes, there's tons of online. They don't, the amount, so the ratio of kids, like when you look at them, um, 
tier one instruction, it usually works for both, in our district, our data matches this, that like 80% of our students are responding and able to access our grade, specific grade level material. So if you look at fourth or fifth grade, for example, if we have 20% of our students who may not be yet at that proficiency level, we definitely have access to just, uh, there's lots of online resources with decodable text, but that's what our professional learning is with our in-school-based coaching is, what do I do? Because I was with a third grade teacher today, like, I don't, I'm not used to teaching phonics in third mm -hmm. grade. So I, when that, when I see kids whose data tells me that's what they need, where do I get decodable text? Mm -hmm. And that, so that's a good question that you ask because they're, those are the conversations that are good ones that we're having. Yeah. Because that's that matching the right resources to the student need. Sure. So then maybe, um, I'm curious if it would be the interest of the committee to get maybe at some point a, a, a deeper look at, again, how we're addressing the older kids and then the pieces that the district has purchased to supplement. Um, so I'd be curious, I don't know if the rest of the committee would, just getting a little bit of a deeper dive in a separate presentation about um, how the decodable texts are working, how the different resources we're pulling. Uh, was Heinemann was one of them we talked about. There's a couple of different ones. So there wouldn't be a lot of purchase of decodable text for the upper grades. Okay. It's not really an appropriate resource okay. for upper grades, so I, that one would be tough to present on. Sure. But um, we could absolutely talk about like the Spelling Connections program that Great. was purchased for upper grades. Yeah. That's something the whole committee is interested in hearing about. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, so for sure. We're, we're definitely always interested in deep dives into the different aspects of curricula just to have a better sense of how it works, and I think... Um, uh, you know where we can be helpful in funding so for sure well that's it because I mean we, we are that funding mechanism so as I see these things I'm just curious kind of what it means I can ask mr. Marshall but he, he can only tell me so much so I think to get a little bit more information about you know what it is we're funding and if there's a greater need that's yeah, uh, that's and, why we're here yeah and I, just as a point of order every time we have a, sort of a different topic to add we'll just put it onto the uh, the list of future agenda items that we consider for, say, teaching and learning update, et cetera. So no need to have it all in one place. Right. So we really, I mean, so other comments or questions? I have a comment, and I just wanted go. to end Do with it. Do you want to go? No, you want to end with love. it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I had a similar question like Ms. Um, like Marie had, Ms. Brian had, because I wanted to find out if we have such success now with the younger kids, which is amazing, we probably had left behind some of that for the older kids that now have moved on and might be lagging behind because we didn't have that tool when they were going through the process. So how do we catch them up or how do we identify the ones that might need extra help for them to be up? up? And that is the beauty of Regents Workshop is that the huge amounts of money that your town has already invested in so many diverse, rich, authentic books that live in your classrooms. Um, they are at various levels. So for students who are identified as not able to read fifth grade text, we have fifth grade classrooms with third grade novels that don't look like third grade. That, I mean, you don't know when you look at a chapter book that it's appropriate for third versus fifth. So when everyone goes off and reads independently as part of Reader's Workshop, they are reading what is at their level. So we've been able to purchase a wide variety of books. Um, my office is a revolving door of uh, boxes and and books and stickers that um, is, I feel really blessed actually to work in a place that that is rich in resources. Um, so our kids have a lot um, at their fingertips in terms of differentiated reading material. So I'm gonna ask another question based on what you just said because I love that we're giving the kids the information at the level that they won't feel bad, let's say, but how do we get them to fifth grade if they're reading at a third grade level? That concerns me. Like, if we have kids in the fifth grade that are re reading third grade level, they're not feeling bad. That's fantastic. We don't want to, like, 
make that a point, but we do want to bring them up to that level. I think we have to be considerate of like the needs. We have need, a variety of needs in okay. each of our classrooms. So there are some students, for example, who are on IEPs mm -hmm. who are working at a certain level that their growth has indicated that they've made a lot of progress to be able to read at the third grade level in a fifth grade classroom. Okay. We want them to be able to feel included in the reading workshop model as well. So it's not that like a, always, it's not that we have a ton of fifth graders reading at a third grade level, we just are being mindful of whatever's in our classroom, is there accessibility and equity for all readers. Um, and that's been a real push of, of the workshop model, is just we, we left a curriculum like a Journeys where it was a textbook and everyone got the same textbook um, and it didn't matter what your level was and, and it was sort of obvious that the teacher had to come over and remove your textbook and give you something that had with fewer words on it. Um, that's one of the benefits of this model. Um, and then within that model, we've had to change and grow and say, what have we learned from the science of reading that we can't send kids off if they can't actually read. So we need to have decodable, we have to have these other things that are in place that, um, I thought that was a great question, like what, when do they read these and how does that fit with workshop? Because that's exactly how it fits, is, is putting sort of puzzle pieces together. Yeah, this is terrific. And there's sort of two different subjects. And one, of course, is just the further deep dive into sort of reading and how to help catch our students up because of everything that's happened with the pandemic and mm -hmm. um, our youngest who have moved beyond kindergarten and, and making sure that we're doing everything we can, can to help them and other folks who've had challenges specifically with reading and writing in the district as we've seen. Um, but what I wanted to mention to our teachers is just I think it's just fabulous, first of all, that you're here, but secondarily that you mentioned that you took and um, implemented and created this curriculum in addition to everything else that was going on your first reaction was how will this apply and then it looked like it sounds like um, you were able to find out figure a way through it by sheer will which sounds like outside the classroom outside your your paid days to create these slides that then become a resource for the entire kindergarten which is fabulous because usually what we we hear about um, our obviously these pockets of excellence and we, we always ask kind of the same question how do we spread it across all the schools and mm -hmm. how do we learn and, and find out whether or not um, this is working as well as something else and it sounds like it's already having tremendous effect and we'll be really interested to hear kind of as a, a point of order and in the future you know how this is working and um, if you have if you do continue to see the kind of growth that you it doesn't have to be not everything is a magic fix but if, if, you, if you find even after year two, year three, this has really been something that's going to create a huge sea change. But just bravo for taking the extra initiative at a time when you're doing so, so much already. And then to take the extra time to then share it amongst your colleagues and help everyone across the town, all, all of our kindergarten students is just tremendous. So thank you. Great. Okay. Thank you all. Thank you all. Okay, so next on our agenda is F, unfinished business. We have uh, transportation as the only item that we'd like to get a nice update on and hopefully hear some positive momentum. Yeah, I, I want to open saying I think you've seen some marked improvement. Um, Mr. Marshall is going to walk through some of the, the meetings that have happened, the routines that are happening. Um, I wouldn't describe it as perfect. It, it's a... Um, a lot of moving parts, but we have seen a lot of marked improvement since uh, our last meeting. Um, we have a few representatives from First Student. I'd love to invite you down at least into the, the first row in case we have some questions. 
and uh, um, I'm going to hand it over to Mr. Marshall and, and go through some of the steps that have been taken. Uh, but I also want to uh, thank our representatives for First Student and partnering since our last meeting greatly and making sure that uh, we are addressing things through communication, some routing design, technology that there's a launch there, or just some regular meetings, uh, standing meetings that allow for problem solving and good uh, discussion. Take it away, Mr. Marshall. Thank you. Um, so definitely significant improvement um, for uh, yellow bus uh, transportation um, over the last two weeks since the last time we have met. I will say I don't know if there's ever a time that um, transportation is perfect. Um, driving anywhere is, uh, is never perfect. Um, and so, uh, you know, I just open with that. But we had a, a fantastic meeting a few weeks ago. Um, Mrs. McLeod and um, a first student, uh, Router Nitsa, um, have been uh, basically had an open meeting between 10 and 1 every day for the last two weeks. Um, that meeting has happened both in person and um, virtually. Um, that has provided for uh, just immediate response uh, from us uh, back to first student and allowing to make some quicker changes. Um, I have access, so if they are meeting um, in person, that is happening um, at the Rodman. Um, if they're meeting remotely, uh, I have access to, um, to jump into that meeting at any time. So, uh, you know, uh, Ms. McLeod is able to, to text me and say, we have a question that um, we want to run by you. And, and we've been able to make some very quick decisions um, that previously were taking um, a day or two uh, before we were kind of getting back. So um, that has, has really helped us. Um, to get our roots um, to where we think that they need to be. Um, we have uh, effectively deployed the app um, across the district. Um, that is to, for all uh, routes that first student is running, um, that is still not um, uh, accessible to our C1 route um, due to that being a, a, a district bus. Um, uh, and. The bus, um, our bus 73 is actually um, out for repairs right now and we're using a backup bus um, as well. So uh, once we get that bus back, we'll continue to work with first student to try to get Zonar, which is the GPS tracking um, into their uh, system. But uh, that is going to take some time uh, with uh, a few third party um, apps. And that uh, what we realized was uh, our previous um, transportation vendor actually set up that Zonar equipment on that bus, and so we need to get that account removed um, from them. We need to uh, move that account to us, um, and then we'll, uh, we'll provide that information to first student. So uh, right now, that delay is um, on um, Canton Public Schools, not on first student, and, um, and so we're working on that on, on our end. Um, uh, here with us today is um, uh, area General Manager Jessica Quint and um, Senior Location Manager Barbie Doherty. Uh, we, the three of us, have a standing meeting um, every week. As I said, uh, that meeting um, starts at 10 o'clock and goes as long as it needs to go. Uh, I've cleared my schedule on Tuesdays to make sure that happens and that will continue um, for the remainder of um, time until uh, it doesn't need to happen. In some cases, we hope that, you know, a 15-minute check-in is great and, and, and we move on. Um, but, you know, longer meetings have been necessary and, and, and we're making progress and, and we're, uh, we're getting um, items implemented, which has, uh, has certainly helped. Um, most of our routes, I would say, we have them now to where 
they are manageable um, within the time frames and, and the expectations. There are tweaks that need to continue to happen and we are making those daily. Um, as we said before, um, every time you make a change, um, that change impacts somewhere else. Um, and so when you continue to make uh, multiple changes, uh, we have to make tweaks um, in other places. Uh, so we will um, continue uh, to work through that. Um, so significant progress. Um, email, um, phone communication from parents has slowed um, drastically. I think that is a sign that um, we are in a much better place. Uh, last time we met, we were talking about additional administrative support and, and response times. Um, I'm, I'm not aware of any instances where we not ha have not responded within just a few hours um, you know, to any parent concerns. And, uh, and so you know, we did make some movement internally um, to make sure that we were getting back to everybody um, uh, about a, you know, two weeks ago, but uh, that's really slowed. And so um, Mrs. McLeod now is, is really able to, to handle, um, I would say 95% of the um, messages that are coming in. Um, and we're seeing what, what is a, a typical level at this uh, point in time. Um, you know, we always have new students that are coming and going, so there's, you know, there continues to be things that change and we'll need to continue to respond to, but, um, but it is much more manageable. I would say that Mr. Fullen and I are back to our regular jobs um, and, and completing uh, the tasks that we need to be completing. Um, so, uh, so that is, is good. Um, stepping away from for a student, but still transportation uh, related. Uh, we have seen s very similar uh, challenges with our van transportation for um, both in district and out of district um, transportation. Um, and so I want to just make sure that we, we recognize those delays. Um, they are not brought to the forefront for everybody. Um, uh, there's a potential that we ask uh, Van Pool representatives to be at school committee um, in the near future to, I think, answer some questions publicly. Um, the service level that we are receiving from, from Van Pool um, has not been um, to our expectation or the expectation of our families. Uh, we have students that are running on very long routes um, that are combined. Um, this is not new, but combined with other districts that are going um, to a different out-of-district school. Um, in some instances, that's leading to um, delays in students getting to school, and, um, and we need to really uh, focus our attention there. So um, uh, Ms. Byrne and her team have uh, done a fantastic job of managing through that to this point, um, but they need some support as well, so uh, we're really working to, um, to help uh, to see what we can do there. Um, we have brought in um, multiple new vendors. Um, some of them are small vendors that are running just one or two vehicles um, for us. Uh, so uh, when I started a year and a half ago, we were running just three uh, special education vendors um, for uh, transportation. Right now we're using six or seven on a daily basis. Um, so that comes with a whole nother set of challenges, right? You're managing six or seven vendors as opposed to three. Um, it's one more phone call, it's one more, um, you know, kind of uh, um, communication point. Uh, so we're working through that. I say all of that and then I want to bring, um, we have brought on um, a consultant, um, uh, Rich Labrie um, from the Alliance Education Associates. Um, he has provided a proposal um, to us 
uh, and is doing some other work in the area uh, between the time of mid-November to February, and so this worked well with his, um, his schedule and where he um, was going to be. And uh, he's going to do an analysis of our current um, routes, um, uh, both uh, for van and yellow bus um, transportation. Um, he will uh, look at the overall cost effective, effectiveness and efficiency, and he'll make recommendations for improved efficiency um, if needed. Uh, he's going to um, identify any uh, you know, issues that, um, that arise or that he sees. Uh, he will review our transportation policies and practices um, just to make any recommendations if he thinks that that um, is necessary. Uh, he'll look at the routing software and its utilization. Um, he's going to be looking at our budgets and the cost of, of uh, transportation as a whole uh, to provide recommendations. He'll review our district-owned vehicles um, and give us a little review uh, there. Um, looking at capital uh, for replacement of those vehicles um, if necessary. And, um, and then he'll just uh, review uh, future uh, requirements and any anticipated district redistricting plans. Um, not necessarily uh, redistricting, but he's going to um, do some analysis for us in terms of getting our elementary schools on a single tier, same start time, um, what uh, he believes that uh, we would need in terms of additional uh, transportation resources and what the, um, what the costs might be of that. Um, so he'll also review you know, our current contracts, um, uh, bid process, and um, provide recommendations back to the committee in terms of what he thinks um, best next steps are um, for all transportation um, moving forward. So uh, again, he'll be doing this work um, right now between November 15th and, uh, and February. Thank you. All right, thank you. Is there anything else? That is all I have for transportation. Okay. Um, well, there's a lot. Well, there's a lot in that report. Thank you very much for it. Uh, I'm glad to hear that things are looking better. A um, couple quick questions, and then I have um, a couple for Miss um, Quint and Doherty. But first, uh, last time we met and we talked about the busing situation um, with first student. There was some question about the accuracy of data and the ability to use or not use a dashboard that was being provided. And of course, it's not here tonight, but we're hearing that things are better. Just provide a little bit more color and context as to why, where we are and sort of what you're using today. Yeah, so um, the first student team prior to the launch of the app and the district view backside of the app that we we're able to access um, was pulling manual data for each route, um, each tier, and providing us information. Um, and so, and I didn't believe that there was, uh, you know, great accuracy within that data. And I and I said that at that point, um, and I stand by that statement. Um, very quickly thereafter, uh, we rolled out the app. I think it might have been actually the same day that I said that that the District View app was was rolled out. And so we all have now um, good data, and we're be, we're able to see actually where the buses are and where the buses are going as opposed to just a time that's coming on a simple Excel spreadsheet. Um, so uh, I am uh, totally confident in the data that we are receiving um, at this point from first student um, in terms of uh, uh, school arrival times, um, the last time that you know a, a bus door is opened before it goes to the depot, um, all of those um, considerations I would say have been resolved. Okay, great. And then, so just knowing that the 
the data is now accurate and you've got more information, what are we looking at in terms of like percent on time, the average length, uh, or the maximum? Actually, no, I don't care about the average. <laughs> so the per the percentage not on time is really what I'm interested in, and that's five minutes before the start of school. Interested in the longest length of time a student is on any of our buses, and then just general updates on safety concerns. And I'll start with you, Mr. Marshall, and then ask our guests to talk about those things. Yeah. So it um, it depends on the day. Right, um, and we've had some uh, pretty tough traffic mornings. Um, three accidents, I think, Monday morning. Um, so there's, uh, I would say, a majority of the morning, um, we are 100% on time and getting students to school. Um, the instances where that has not happened, there's been some, what I would say, um, like real reason uh, behind them, right? Sure. Where before, um, it wasn't like we were saying traffic, but it was like, well, you know, when three or four buses aren't showing up, um, you know, prior to bell time, that's not necessarily um, true. Uh, you know, contractually, it's a five minute time. Uh, we're all working towards 10 minutes. Um, so I would say in the morning, we have, um, we're, we're getting to that point. This morning, I think being our best morning, I think all buses, um, uh, you know, were, were meeting that mark. Um, so. Uh, we're getting there. In terms of length of time, um, I, I'm not aware of any students that are, um, that a route is taking an hour. Um, we still have some instances in the afternoon um, where it's approaching the hour mark from dismissal. So it's not that a student is on a bus uh, for an hour, but still some cases at the Hanson School, um, you know, dismissal at 3.20, bus not arriving to the Hanson until 3.40, that's already a 20 minute window, um, and then, uh, you know, a 40 minute ride there. Um, that is, uh, we're working on that, and, and it's continually improving. Um, and it's uh, route by route, bus by bus, um, that we're seeing those improvements, and we'll continue to, um, to work on those until uh, we get those times um, more manageable. In some instances where um, uh, Loose and St. John's routes are combined, um, you know, we have some St. John's uh, family students, um, you know, that again are, have been on a longer ride um, because of the way that route's going. Um, it's a loose, route um which is going to a specific area of town all of the saint john's students um are not necessarily going to the loose district mm -hmm. and so they might be going to a different part of town in some instances we're picking up one or two students at saint john's um it is not always um in our best interest to to change that route completely um and so those students you know we're seeing some some longer times there but uh, i'm not aware of anybody any uh routes that that have been over an hour um, which was that was our first goal, and that will continue to you know to work from that. And I, I you yeah, know. I think actually most of the routes are relatively short. Yeah. I would say between 25 and 30 minutes on average. Now there are longer routes, and Mr. Marshall made the point, especially those routes that have two different stops. Um, they there will be some students that are nearing that hour mark from dismissal, but those are far and few between. And it's mostly the the loose and the St. John's where there'll be a hand. A handful of students to, towards that end that might be there, um, but I'm not even 100% sure that they are because um, they get on on the second stop, not on the first stop. So I even think some of those, the route length might be one, but I don't think those students are running through that because they go to the loose district and then they go to St. John's. So um, 
I, I would think most of your routes are actually pretty pretty short in, in, in my experience comparatively to other districts are actually on the bus a lot shorter, which is great. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you, Ms. Quinn. Can you talk um, any of any of our guests about um, the safety concerns that we've heard? I don't know, first of all, have you been tracking along with the school committee meetings? Have you been able to watch the recordings of the last couple so we don't need to relive those? Perfect. Um, so if we're here now, some of the safety concerns that we have heard about, um, overcrowding on the buses, um, behaviors on the bus, um, bus drivers unable to intervene because obviously they're driving the bus. They're, you know, they're concerned about that. And so I'm, I'm not looking um, really to, you know, find blame but solutions. And like, where are the areas that we need to work on to make sure that, and, and what can we do about yeah. that? Monitors, what do you need? Yeah, so I, I can talk about, I'm going to talk about the first one, the overcrowding. Um, so when, when we heard that, we went back and, and, and tried to identify where there was overcrowding, and the, the routes that I, I think were in question, we had the driver over a couple of days do some counts, and they were, um, had between 38 and 42 students on there, which is, you know, completely fine and comfortable. Um, so I, I don't, we have not, our drivers know it's, it to any time there is any overcrowding to communicate right away and we will find a solution whether it means to go you know have another bus come and pick up some students um, because it is we need to make sure everyone has a seat um, and, and there's you know when you're when you're routing there is a our buses are 71 or 77 passengers but those are elementary school 77 71 so we're not on, on the, the larger students it's really we, we try to do two to a seat so um, you know, just something people think about, oh, it's a 77 passenger bus, yeah, it's not 77 high schoolers to fit on that bus, it's really two to seat, but we don't have any instances um, from our, you know, we talk to our drivers, and anytime we have a, a complaint of overcrowding, we, you know, get a, a driver count from our, um, from our drivers, just to make sure that, you know, what, what we're seeing, um, because ridership shifts depending on the age, depending on the district, um, so you might route a number of students that don't actually ride, so we have to just be mindful of that. So all of a sudden we can, even throughout the year, we'll see shifts, like as sports stops, right? We'll see shifts of students, so we, we're always mindful of that, and we, the driver, will, will communicate immediately if there's any, any need. Um, but anytime we've checked, we really haven't found any overcrowding issues. And I will tell you, most of the time, I would say 95% of the time when there's a, uh, someone says that there's an overcrowding issue, um, usually it's more of a behavioral issue and a student doesn't want to sit with another uh, student. Uh, and that's the majority of the time, and I won't say always, but the majority of the time that's when uh, that occurs. So a lot of our, our, our last meeting we actually talked about behavior, kind of going into your second question, and we identified some particular bus routes where we had some behavior, so, uh, some behavioral issues. So what we did, we put a plan uh, in, in, in place for our safety, we have our safety personnel to ride that route with the, the driver um, to really get, make sure they have the tools um, to have a safe ride for, for themselves and for all the students and make sure that that's a safe ride for everyone because um, that's really important that we have you know, good behavior for the safety of everyone on that vehicle. So that's, you know, we're, we're going through and we, yeah, we, we've, we've done that with, yeah. with some of the routes already, and as, as problems arise, we're going to continue to do that. And I know um, Mr. Marshall said if there, you know, continual issue, he would look to put on monitors where it made sense 
Um, so we've kind of identified some of those behaviors. The other thing, just to follow up, is we re-emphasize with our drivers um, to make sure they have those the write-up slips so that you know it's not just through communication when they drop off the student that they have a written statement so they can, we can follow up. And the great thing now is that you guys have video cameras, so like if there are behavioral issues, we can go back and see you know what where how did this issue kind of stem from? Where where was that? Um, and then we can also go back and look at it from our perspective and say, how can we coach our driver to handle this better? If, if there was something that they could have done to address this earlier um, or differently to make uh, the ride better for all. All right, that, that's very helpful and I, I thought the same thing. I think there are, there's a, probably a culture um, scenario, but sometimes older kids sit in the back and then they don't let anyone sit with them and whether or not that's best practice or just what's common practice, I, I was assuming in some cases you'd have kids who won't let others sit with them and then you leads to standing because the child's intimidated. So I hope there is um, some way that we could apply better practice in those instances, which I'm sure is probably driving children who are standing. Um, but, the, but to follow up on that, what, what, how are the students told to self-advocate? Like, are they told to talk to their principal when they get off the bus if something happens, or to the bus driver themselves? Like, how are the students empowered to say, every day, like, I, and this is just me making it up, every day I get on the bus and something happens to me and I feel uncomfortable. And besides just going to their parent, is there, is there some safe adult, some trusted person that students are told that they can go to to help report any behaviors that we want to make sure we're intervening on? Well, I can speak a little bit to what we do um, on that. So one of the things that we're really proud of and what we, we kind of, we're all around positive reinforcement. Um, and that's what we teach our drivers and, you know, really identify the positive behaviors. We hope that really builds a comfort level so that if there is something going on where the student doesn't, you know, feel comfortable, they can go to our drivers and the drivers can help them. And, address that, um, whether it be through, you know, then communicating to the principal, um, if they, you know, whatever that next avenue, or they'll come and talk to our dispatcher and they'll go then handle it. Um, that's what we, you know, ideally would, you know, like if, if um, I, I don't know that that always happens, but that is what we teach, is how do we reinforce those positive uh, behaviors with our, our drivers. And that's a lot around our passenger management um, that we work with our drivers on um, and a water safety team because you know once we have um, once we reinforce that behavior I mean it, it just it, it, it just continues throughout the school year okay that makes sense anything else mr. Marshall I mean uh, uh, certainly principals um, you know students are directed to principals assistant principals teachers really any any adult you get off the bus um, you know uh, make sure you know if something is not um, that something happened that you're making somebody aware I met with mr. B um, at the Hanson this morning um, and he's going to be reaching out to first student to try to get some buses to do some um, uh, um, safety conversations and talks like during the day right let's bring a couple classrooms at a time out to the buses and start having some conversations around some of these behaviors that we're seeing um, some safety drills and how can we address um, some of this and start having these conversations um, as we've talked about you know how to hold a pencil um, you know we have to have some of these conversations about how to ride a bus um, you know how to stay in your seat um, that when somebody doesn't have a seat and you're sitting in the seat by yourself like um, it's not an option that that person 
doesn't have a seat. Like um, these are things that I think we all think are are um, kind of common and, and should just happen, um, but we need to reinforce. Um, the same behaviors that we expect within our school buildings and in our classrooms, uh, we expect on um, on the bus, and uh, we're not seeing that. You know, I think uh, we spent a lot of time in the beginning months of um, timing and routing, and now um, there are some behavior uh, issues that have come to light, and we're continuing to work on them. First student has been great in terms of putting somebody else on that bus. Um, and uh, I'm working with individual principals in terms of posting for monitors. Uh, we, it is hard for us to find monitors to ride the bus. It's a difficult timing, um, but uh, we'll work. First student has agreed to um, to bring you know monitors back. That's always right. Where's your car and where are you? And it ends up being late in the day. Um, if it's the middle of a tier and that bus is going on to somewhere else, um, it could be a challenge to get somebody back um, when you're at the end of York Street and you got to come back now to um, you know kind of turn around. So, um, been very supportive in terms of helping us um, to address some of these issues. Working with drivers um, to really like uh, there's nothing too small. Like our principals need to know, document everything. Um, if there's a time where you think that we need to look at the cameras, let us know. Um, and we want to be reviewing kind of everything so that we can um, make sure that a bus ride is an enjoyable ride for all of our kids. Um, it's never great when you see a kid that had an issue in the morning and they started their day off with a, a tough bus ride. Um, and then in the afternoon, it gets a little wild. Um, you know, and that's, I've been on more buses this year than I have since I was in school myself. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was shocked at, um, at the elementary, like, level, you know, behavior. Um, and not that it's bad, but it is loud. Um, kids are energized. It's the, you know, they want to have fun. Um, and, uh, and we just have to, to work. Um, and, and the bus drivers, they need to focus on the road. Yeah. And um, and they have a job at hand, and it is um, it, it you can't just pull a bus over anywhere, um, and uh, and and you can't expect a you know they don't have a cell phone that they can just call for help, um, you know they miss a turn and the kids are yelling and screaming because they missed a turn like it happens they can't pull out their GPS and they can't just turn down the next street and it be a dead end street and now they're stuck um, so there's there's a lot of factors that play into. Um, you know what happens when um, when the bus is you know is loud and, and, and crazy so certainly working through that and um, and working with our principals to um, to just try to emphasize um, safe safer behavior on, mm -hmm. on the buses. Principal Mulhern I know held some and his team held some recent bus expectation meetings uh, Mr. Sperling is up there and I think you know his team's handling it a bit more individually um, but you know, if, if I just want to remind any anyone that might be watching that, you know, if something does come up, um, your child's not having an experience, just to make sure to notify the principal, notify the school, um, and obviously we take that information and we work with first student, and they have been having folks ride the bus, which is appreciated. Um, and I just want to say thanks to the admin and staff that have stepped up uh, for buses that have required some attention. You know, they're being paid hourly and admin really just on on their own uh, work schedule to, to do what I know must be was riding a bus, you, you know. Yeah, we have uh, team chairs that are riding buses, chairs, principals yeah, so, that are riding buses. Because um, they can't, you know, once we get alerted to it, there just needs to be an adult presence for it to really sort down. And, and 
um, that takes time and energy and we're just being really responsive to it so just an appreciation for the folks that have stepped up and take that ride. Right, terrific and obviously there's all sorts of economics involved but certainly if supply and demand is an issue with bus monitors and salary would help <coughs> you know pay rate let us know because anything we can do to make that position more attractive if we need it to help increase safety on the buses something we want to do um, other questions comments from the school committee about first students since we have our guests here I have one more for them but I'm hogging the mic so no not at all I just have one. I'm wondering how, since we gave out the phone number and email address for first student last time, how um, what you're hearing for for volume or number. We'll get, of we've gotten um, a few calls um, okay. from parents, uh, just not even complaints. Just the you know, can we have our bus stop changed? I want to get picked up at my house. I don't want my child at the corner. Things like that okay. um, that we've looked at and you know, call Brett, talk to Brett, different things like that. Okay. Cell phone left on the bus or backpack left gotcha. on the bus. So they, they, they have our number. They are calling. That's good. Um, good. Good. Starting to move that yeah. direction, it yeah. seems like. A so, better. Good. Which is good. Which is really great because then we can handle the issue right there. And, and right. you know, if, if needed, if we have the radios right there. If it's something that it's in the middle right. of the route or, um, you know, when our team is, is, is right there. And I just want to be clear Bar Barbie is the. the uh, manager at the location every day so I don't personally sit at the location but she's at the location every day um, you know with our with our dispatchers so she's seeing the drivers every morning before they go out so I thought it was important for her to be here because she's the one who interacts with our drivers and make sure the buses are run on a day-to-day -day, uh, uh, operation excellent thank you both for being here I have a question last time we talked about the GPS data on the bus or the GPS maybe not being online all the time or maybe malfunction or something along those lines how is that going yeah so that has been almost uh, totally resolved I mean there's um, days right there's there's things that happen um, yeah. that you know you might lose connection um, but we've seen that resolved uh, quickly um, so uh, First student was well aware of the issues that we were aware of before. You know, I brought them to their attention in terms of specific routes. Um, some of them uh, were spare, you know, spare bus um, issues and um, and just that rollout of the app. And so, okay. you know, they need to go in and manually change a bus. So if bus four is broken down and uh, there's oh. another bus that's um, covering covering yeah. um, instead of like yeah, you would see that. Switch it. It's yeah. got to be switched. Okay. Uh, when you're dealing with a breakdown or, or just the, the, they come in and they'll say the bus isn't running right now or it can't get started, okay, we've got to put you on a different bus. We're concerned about getting them out there and getting them on time opposed to that and then afterwards we'll remember, oh gosh, we've got to go and change that. So they go in, they change it and um, it takes probably 10, 15 seconds to kick in before you can start tracking it. Okay. You know, Thank you. The app actually helps with that because then we will look at the screen and be like, why is this, this, this bus not moving off the yeah. line? And so it, it helps us so, um, to, to kind of stay on top of it. So Not that a parent hasn't called us in the past, um, and I'm referring to other um, contracts that have had the same app and say, the bus is still sitting in the yard. It's going to be like an hour late. And you look and go, oh. I forgot to change the bus. I'm yeah. so sorry. As soon as you change it, they'll look at their phone and go, oh, there it is. Oh, he's right around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because 
you know, they they make mistakes and forget to do it sometimes. Thank you. And uh, Mr. Marshall, for the consultant, I just want to make sure that I understood this. The deliverable of the report or the information that they're going to be reviewing is February? Correct. Okay, cool. Thank you. No I just have a van pool question. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll have that, that too. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. not for first student. I have one student. more. I have one oh, more. Oh, sure. Okay. For first student. Um, uh, so, and, and then let's move to the next, because there's three topics in this in this transportation update. Um, so, so the... The question I have for you uh, has to do with, you know, I, I wish we were having this conversation September 1 and not November 3. Uh, but uh, in following along this case study, if you will, of Canton and what's happened, um, you know, there have been some root causes in terms of onboarding and um, number of buses and just figuring out routes and things like that but something that um, I'm you know still hearing a, a bit about is the, the amount of administrative time and I know you're saying it's normal but still there's a lot of time being spent um, even if it is 10 to 1 every day very appreciated um, by the team working on the buses and so my, my question quite honestly is if you have any point of view on um, what the normal or average or typical staffing might look like for a district of our size with 19 buses. Are we on the administrative side staffed in a way that you'd normally see? Is there something different we should do this way? So it's so different district to district. You'll have some that have, you know, almost no transportation department and it all would fall on, you know, for student. And I, I think the biggest difference that I would say it it's um, how much you push to the, the contractor. Now, we always see this when we're going into a new area, you know, people are hesitant to call someone new because, you know, they've called their other contractor for, you know, a number of years, um, but they're hesitant to call, so there's a little, usually a little bit more administrative part on the, on the beginning. Um, but then I, I would say it, it, it kind of um, will shift a, a little bit and, you know, year over year, the, the first year of in, being in a new contract, it, it's not like these same growing pains happen every single year. The, you know, the routing is now kind of established and we know how to you know, manipulate it and move it and we understand the traffic patterns a little bit better. Um, so you won't see that. I would say it's not abnormal um, for, for a district of this size. Um, but it, 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 there's so much variation. It, it, there's, there almost is, there's, there's districts that are very um, hands up, completely hands off, where we you know, control all the routing, all the stops, everything from that perspective. Um, and, and we make the calls on every single stop. Um, but typically in those districts, there's a lot less house stops and a lot more group stops. And that's like the big divide. Um, when you have more personalized, service which uh, your your district has a lot of and it's somewhat the makeup of the town because there's a lot of busy roads and, and things mm -hmm. um, there's usually more interactions with the town because there's there's a lot of talk about well you know does this make sense as a stop does it not does this warrant a house stop mm -hmm. um, you know at, at what point um, do we you know we are very good at first student drawing a line in the sand and say okay these are the, the transportation practices um, 
But then within districts, there might be saying, well, there's reasons to make an exception, and you guys have more knowledge than we do about the particular reasons why we're making this exception for a family or something where we were, you know, we're black and white on some of those things. Um, so that's where districts are, are, are more involved, I would say. I see. Um, so there's so much variation that I couldn't give you. And then what's becoming more and more, like places are, are building bigger transportation um, departments and a lot of that is because of um, honestly because there's almost what Mr. Marshall talked about before about and I know that's the next part of the conversation it's because there's so many different vendors when you're going through um, the special education and it just seems to wrap itself into yellow bus transportation so we're seeing these departments become bigger because they're dealing with four or five or six smaller um, you know uh, contractors and then there and then it kind of wraps into us so there's not a, a great answer if you want some specifics I could I could look at that and, and show you like what you know what other districts are doing and what they have for staffing yeah no I, you know I'm just I, mean, I, we, I know we'll have a consultant sort of yeah. looking at it and of course we've been grappling with and you've been problem-solving the whole way and if it's yeah. if it's not if staffing is variable and you adjust to that then I guess you know the only other question I'd have and there may be no answer to that either is if you could go back and do it again what would you have changed to avoid um, being where we are now which is almost resolved but you know at the beginning of November like what what was what could we have I, done different yeah if I started start earlier this all over again I would have started our kind of standing meeting from the very beginning as a transition process I think that has been very helpful and then we kind of have action items to take away and go back. I think that's one of the, the big differences and then, you know, we can, we were, we're now a little bit more on the same page with items um, and, and there's also faster resolve. I think having that open session earlier um, because there's so, there, there was just so many delays as we talk, you know, we would do, take some time, do the analysis, then send it and then they had to look at what the impact would be for families and it would take some time. So we're able to compress that a little bit with our with that kind of open session that we were doing um, every day to compress that timeline so that the changes were a little bit more immediate um, so we could address them quicker. So I probably would have tried to implement that earlier and then again the standing meeting I think is, has been really helpful so we're both understanding. Because I think there is a, at times like we don't necessarily, especially at the beginning, we didn't see all the parent complaints that, you know, it, it took some time and then we established that tracker which I think was fantastic and I actually brought that up to our senior leadership um, as you know this is something I think we're missing as far as a almost like a project management of implementing a new contract I think this is great and I I think this should be with our process improvement team I took it to them and I said I think this is a great tool um, that can create it I think we should look to and, and thank you <laughs> to, look to, to replicate this because I think it's been it's been great because it helps prioritize you know all these action items because in in every district at the beginning of the school we must get you know a hundred to two hundred emails phone calls and it's just trying to navigate that so this that really that helps so that's yeah it, it really does to help prioritize and someone and, and then anyone can go in and look at where that was so I think that was a great tool that really um, I brought forward to our you know our leadership at it. So open collaborative meetings. Would you? Yeah. Would it have been September one? Would it have been in August? Oh, it would have been in, in uh, July, 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 July and yeah. August. And we were having routing meetings, but I think there probably was. We should have had more meetings from a. I don't think there were as extensive as they 
should yeah, have. they shouldn't have. Been. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for your candor and on that. I will tell you because we can go into towns and we do have routers that are really good. Um, there were a lot of things that we didn't expect in in Canton, and I, I think the first and foremost was the the traffic was not as expected. So when we went on day one, by our routing software, all these routes worked perfectly, and so we had you know in a, in an average or in a community we were like oh things are going to go really well. Um, and you know we were there on the and first then day, Tuesday, Tuesday. <laughs> and then it, and, and that's you know that's obviously I mean we all know the hi history here like that is not what happened, and, right. and so it was like a surprise to our expectation, um, and then so we should have adjusted that a lot quicker. Yeah, you weren't able to quickly understand if it was an anomaly or if it's yeah you know standard operating in town. That makes sense. Last one. Do, what is your sense generally? about the percentage of students we're actually serving versus who signed up for the bus. Meaning, you know, we know we lost folks and we have a lot of parents who said they're driving their kids. So do we think we're at 80% capacity, 90, 95, 100? Um, so it's very hard and that's a metric that I've looked to. Um, at the older levels, given the amount of things that happen um, both before and after school, it's hard to tell. And mm -hmm. I don't have that information from a prior year to compare back to. Um, so I would say yes, that 70 to 80% um, range is, is likely where we are. At where we are right now though, um, seeing the buses coming and going and the amount of buses hasn't changed in our in, um, enrollment in um, bus transportation, I would say we're, it's typical, it's getting um, better. Did we lose some? Absolutely, and there we know for a fact there's still some kids that are not riding the bus um, for a variety of different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think that's 70 to 80%. And just back to your last point, because you were asking about kind of resources and on our side. In questions and that I've asked of others and um, trying to understand like what could we have done better in a lot of places um, there's district level routing software um, that's happening or at least um, shared software in some sort of way and I think that's another place where um, we kind of miss the mark and um, and I you know I kind of assumed as we made a change, like that was not necessary and that was a wrong assumption on my part. Um, I think looking at some of the routes in the routing software um, from our lens or from um, others in town that might be, you know, that understand traffic patterns and, and all of that would have helped us to say that doesn't work. I mean, it was, it was an obvious, right? We're two days in and, and parents are calling and saying like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, and the computer builds it, made perfect sense, looked like it was going to work. Um, and when you try to put it out there, it just, it didn't work. And so, um, you know, I think together, we, we could have spent more time on that. Um, mm. And it does take, you know, I, I had a conversation with Rich in terms of, um, you know, changing of a contract. And, you know, he said, honestly, it takes about six months. He goes, I'm not, I'm not saying that makes it better. He goes, but it takes about six months. And his recommendation right now was if we're not having any staffing shortages, um, you know, then we're, we can fix the routes, we can fix the times. Um, there are um, you know, districts all over the country that don't have enough bus drivers to, to run routes, where routes are, are, are not running at all. Um, and so he said, if we're not in that you know, situation, uh, 
you know, he would say, he said, you know, um, we're okay, we can fix those other problems. Um, sounds like we've gotten through a majority of them, um, but there's a lot of staffing shortages that are happening around the country. That's for sure. Can I just, on um, that other point that you're talking about ridership, I have no, we can, um, and, and we often do in the middle of November after sports kind of die down and get a good uh, idea, but we'll do ridership counts on all the buses by tier. Great. So we'll get a good, you know, idea of at least where we are um, by tier. And that, we usually wait till fall sports kind of right. ends um, because we don't get accurate numbers when we do it in, in the middle of October. Typically. Okay. December is the best time. Yeah, December is yeah. the best time, but we can start it probably. Okay. That's great. I mean, I, I assume that if there starts to be some sense that the buses are running and reliable, mm -hmm. that maybe we will see greater ridership, which then may have a, you know, a downward <laughs> effect on uh, on time percentages, but hopefully it won't last that long. Yeah. We know in some instances that's happening because, uh, you know, we had drivers that, um, you know, had their two months in. Um, you know, um, to go all the way down this street is going to take me an extra five minutes and that kid has never got on the bus and parents have reached out and said, my child's going to start riding the bus now, um, you know, can we make sure that the bus is coming? Okay. And, um, and that's happening. We've then kind of went back and said, make sure we're running full routes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's easy in the afternoon to start to learn who the kids are and, and, and you can... Um, you can skip a section if you don't have any of those kids on the bus, but in the morning, um, been running full routes and going to all um, stops, uh, as we know. And so that has been happening. We haven't heard any, um, you know, reports of, of any stops being missed. Um, and so we'll continue okay. to do that. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Ms. Quint and Ms. Doherty, for both being here. We really appreciate it. Um, and also just for your continued um willingness to problem solve and get this right. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks. All right, so uh, there are some, a couple of other topics that were covered in that transportation update. So uh, Ms. Moran, you said you had a couple of questions about Ms. Mr. Rich Labrie. Uh, actually, I'll uh, what, uh, Van Poole. Van Poole. So I do have a question because they've been a vendor for a number of years now, even during the pandemic. So it sounds like things are problematic now, especially. And I'm just curious, what like, you know, what's what's has the, what has changed, or what's what's resulting in the challenges? Um, I can't. I don't know what's resulting okay. in the challenges. Mm -hmm. um, I think we would um, we would have been able to um, fix them quicker mm -hmm. had sure. we of, of, of truly known um, changes uh, from. I think their there was some changes in their team. Okay. I don't know if that has directly impacted. Um, they made some changes to some routes. Um, and have just been unable to um, meet any higher demand. Mm -hmm. um, changes in routes, um, requests to move, um, you know, uh, uh, students for a variety of different reasons. Yeah, and then just when you said they were combining sort of our, our routes with other districts, A, can they do that? And B, did we know that, or did we sort of did they tell us they would do that, or came out after the fact? Um, so contractually, yes, they can do that. Um, they have done that in the past. Okay. I, I, I wasn't suggesting that that was new. Okay. Um, but I don't think it has rose to the level of, um, you know, we still need the kids to get to school on time. Right. And so if um, if picking up one just one extra student is leading to that delay, mm -hmm. um, then we need that to change. Okay. And um, and. I, it's, they've acknowledged, it, I think, some of those issues, right. um, but typically the response is just, I don't have a timeline as to when I can fix it. 
um, and that is either um, due to a driver shortage, shortage um, okay. or a uh, vehicle shortage. Um, and so, you know, I we don't get great response from them. Um, we don't get great information back, mm -hmm. other than really just kind of a no. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and, and and we're you know, it's not for a lack of trying. Um, but we do, you know, we owe it to all of our kids to make sure that our kid, that, you know, that they're getting to school on time, and that has not been the case um, in some instances. And I was, I, I would tend to view this as perhaps a more vulnerable population, if they're going out of district for whatever reason. Um, and there's some, you know, we have some kids that are going to a school that is an hour away, okay. right, or or 45 minutes away. I mean, mm -hmm. so um, it's not, we're not asking. I don't, our expectations are not unrealistic. Mm -hmm. There are some instances where they, it is going to be a long ride. Um, that, that is just what it is. Yeah. Um, and there is instances where we know that, you know, 95 South is at a standstill, and that's the only way you can go. Um, so that happens. The longer the distance you need to travel, the more opportunity there is. Um, but that's not what's happening right now. This is a like, consistent daily um, you know, issue for some of our students, and, um, and that's what you know, what needs to be corrected. And we have some other, you know, um, all of our vendors, I think, are feeling the pressure um, in terms of staffing and, um, you know, vehicle, just mm -hmm. obtaining a vehicle right now um, is uh, is difficult. Um, you know, specific vans and models and base models and, mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's challenges that are there. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, this was a contract. This is not, we're not in year one of this contract. Right. Um, this is a vendor that has worked with us for um, for some time. And, um, uh, you know, there's not a lot of large vendors um, mm -hmm. that are out there. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so it's just a matter of, you know, where is Canton in their priority? Um, and and how can, again, we're, we're willing to work together. We're willing to come to the cable to, to, mm -hmm. to problem solve, but um, we need, some more answers as to what exactly is happening. And it sounds like, too, you're also expanding using some additional vendors. We are. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that is, in some cases, because we needed to move mm -hmm. some students off of mm -hmm. um, a van pool route. Okay. Um, and in other instances, it's a, a, a new need mm -hmm. um, that the district has. And um, our current vendors are not able to um, provide uh, the service for those um, new needs and so we're sourcing um, other vendors in order to, um, to make that happen. So do you expect a similar conversation to try to eventually nail down these problems as well? I do. Okay. Yes. Let's right. well, see. Give us Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing is just a like paint a picture, it sounds like, of just how often and um, how long the delays may be for some of these students. Same sort of um, scenario. Are we... I, and I know you don't have any like, reality, you may not have numbers, but like rough and tough, are we like a 20% of all rides or you know, are, are, are late to school or is it worse, is it better? I mean, what, how dire is the situation? And then secondarily, is there an adequate replacement to Vanpool? I understand there's a constellation of more tinier, smaller providers, but another large solution is there is there one um so to answer your second question likely no okay <laughs> um and so we have to navigate that right um and uh, i'm i'm looking <laughs> yeah <laughs> um it's it's not um 
in the last two to three weeks, we've actually brought on, I would say, three or four routes in addition to what we have with Banquil that have made things a lot better for some of the ones that were repeated and ongoing. The issue we're having now is there's still about three or four students that are on the van for an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. And so some of that is due to increased traffic. Some of that is due to the fact that I think they're adding probably more kids on their routes because of the shortage from other towns than we've historically seen. As they add students to their routes, it's just impacting our students. The biggest shift this year has been Vanpool's ability to respond to us in a way that's you know, timely, communicative. Um, there's always quirks and things that come up, particularly with out-of-district transportation, because you're dealing with um, you know, students that maybe have increased medical needs, that have nursing on vans, that need a shortened day sometimes. There's just a lot of complexity to it. And um, you know, we are working all day, every day. I mean, Tara Young in my office has taken on you know, this charge of supporting our students, and, and it is complicated. Um, we're down to, I would say, about three or four families in out-of-district placements that are still not having routes that we want. Um, and other times, you know, some of these students need a monitor or something like that. So we're still trying to work actively to solve a couple of those remaining issues. But um, it's, it's been a challenge. I, too, I can't believe we're in November and we're still having these problems. We are not alone. You know, you listen to the uh, district coordinators groups uh, that we belong to. They're in dire straits uh, in many school districts for this. Um, and, and we are positioned a little bit better in that we've been able to bring on, I think, three or four new new vendors really in the last six weeks, but we're working on it. It takes new vendors time to, know, to get to know us and um, you know make sure we have all the required paperwork and things like that too. So it's getting better. It's still not where it needs to be. And for a student who was normally on the van for an hour to be on there for an hour and 45 minutes pretty consistently, it's pretty detrimental. So yeah. even though there's only one or three or four, we're still working hard on it every day to make sure it gets better. I see. So then it sounds like one of the main concerns is the length of time on the vans as opposed to the on-time percentage to school? Both. Oh, it is still, it well, is Well, because if it's an hour and 45 minutes, do you know what I mean? The students arriving to class late then, you they know what I mean? They are also so, late. Yeah, yeah so, yeah. so they, they're very late, 45 minutes late. I mean, if you're saying your target 20 to 30, right? So, I mean, the students are getting picked up here around what their you know, typical time would be or a little bit sooner. Um, but it varies too and, and um, you know, Marshall said there are things that come up you know an accident right, or sure. whatever the other piece of that too is you know we used to get pretty prompt communication from them about that our families used to get that we're just not getting that I, I think that they're the shortage is Total just everything you know mm -hmm. um, and families worry right when they don't right. care so I, I just want to make a statement so I think that as strong as I spoke about for a student I think that we need to do the same with this particular situation because I am I'm, I'm upset horrified angry that this is happening to families and that the lack of communication and partnership from a vendor whom we're paying for a long time and we have a partnership with is not there. Understanding that there's all kinds of situations and there's shortages of people and vans and all of this, but the lack of communication and partnership from my perspective is, is when the trust is broken between two, like a relationship that we want to maintain and improve. So I, I, from my perspective of the school committee, myself, and I don't know what you want us as a committee to do, but I think we need to have another call, similar to what we did with first student, where we sit down and have a conversation and escalate it. We, I think that we are at a point, I didn't know about this, 
and that's why I'm flustered because I think it's terrible that we had not done this before. I'm not calling you out. We had a bunch, you were probably trying to figure it out on your own, but you're not on your own. Like we should be backing up the same families as we're backing up our first student situations and I think that we need a call. So I don't know if you can help us set up that call, Mr. Marshall. And tell them that I am very upset. <laughs> <laughs> Do that. And transitioning to um, the, the consultant, you know, the biggest thing is um, I, so there's a lot to say about this, but I'm still struck with like what are the economics of the, you know, the van pool situation and or like what improves our, our busing situation? Does it ever come down to we should have had a different budget or um, right allow a company to have enough resources to take on additional vans or hire additional drivers. There's a reason sometimes. There's, there's a straight up labor shortage and then it's yep. economics. It's, you know, who chooses to take what job based on, you know, the value pricing or premium pricing or something else. So I'm just interested in learning a lot more about um, how we're structured and maybe it's like every school um, in the state, if anybody's been able to it, it sounds like in Canton, at least even with our busing, there's some um, best practices and learnings that are helping the likes of a first student, right? Yeah. Thanks to new access to data and teams reinventing the way that they organize to problem solve, fabulous. But what else could be done if we know it's a persistent problem across the country? Is there anything else we can do besides say, and obviously we should, we should say, this is unacceptable, but what is our option? Like in that, and we're gonna do this, but like I just wonder also like through their consultant, like what else we could possibly do planning-wise as a town to better set ourselves up for success. And because to, this. sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but to your point, this is probably going to increase as we're seeing more increase in needs from our student population. So if this, if it continues to increase, then we're gonna to have to plan for scaling. Yeah, and I would if think we we have, it has budget know. implications because also we're, if we continue to operate the way we always have, how can we expect anything will change? One of the things, just to add to I'm, I'm really excited about the transportation consultant because one of the problems we've had this year as we've tried to add new vendors, we're now adding vendors for students that if we had had like this pool of resources to choose from, right, if we had, or if we were working with just one larger company that could meet all of our needs, we could have more efficient routes, right? As of right now, we're adding and changing some things as we go because we need to, in the moment, address the fact that our kids are on the van for too long or not getting to school on time. Yeah. You know, even with the in-town van routes, and it's almost like um, we're adding to it as opposed to being able to design, right, for what yeah. would probably be a better place to be. So we're doing that now. Um, but it's just taking more time because we've had to add new new drivers and new companies, right, to work with that. So there's definitely opportunities, I think, for us to increase our efficiency with that as we look at expanding the different companies. I mean, I know there's not a lot of um, alternative options to the size of an operation like Vanpool. Um, they have different types of vehicles that aren't available with all the other vendors, right? Wheelchair vans are particularly mm -hmm. hard to come by. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of challenges there, but there's definitely opportunities for us if we know that we're going to have a larger sample group, then we would design and put our bids right for certain groups and certain towns and certain yeah. directions even in a way that would probably be in our best interest. So following up to that point that you're bringing up, if we were to bring this consultant on board, could we organize the priorities to take this one on maybe as a priority first then doing the result of the overall February deliverable and maybe do some plan of attack 
Yeah, so um, I'll be meeting with the consultant um, in a few weeks when he's um, in town, and absolutely, um, you know, he'll he'll work um, with the direction that we give, um, and that that is a priority. Um, not that first student isn't, but it's uh, um, it it doesn't the the analysis aspect of yep. it, um, you know, can come. Um, but right now, we need to work on some of these like immediate. Um, pieces and uh, you know it, the efficiency is is not great and and that leads it's costing us more money at the same time um, and uh, um, I you know I I I've been cautious though because um, there is not a great there's not another alternative yeah. um, right and so uh, so we cannot push too too hard because we might not be able to that is I true. understand. Yes. That's what I'm um, saying. Like, is there another alternative if you had a bigger budget? Or, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Well, is Kiesling true? The biggest game in town for our neighboring districts. And other, I mean, we've, we've looked, you know, even in like, well, I think since really the pandemic, there's been a couple of, you know, issues or challenges that we've been like, okay, who are you using? Who are you using to comparable districts? And Vanpool is the biggest. Um, I think in our region that has, like I said, the variety of vehicles, the ability yeah. to add monitors and staffing, and, um, you know, so it, there's a lot to consider because there's just unique circumstances with special ed transportation that um, every company's not really apples to apples, you know? Yeah. yeah. Nonetheless, we can put some pressure. Okay. Beth, thank you all. Appreciate yeah. We appreciate you taking all the time yes. and your team. Thank you. So then, um, any other comments um, about transportation? I have one more. <laughs> it's just going long. Okay, so since we have um, hired an expert transportation consultant to take a look at our roads, which will help us hopefully for the future, I just wanted to mention, like I said before, um, I, am, I would be interested in common practice versus best practice. Like, I know there'll, there'll be some um, managing of expectations about what the country is dealing with and what's normal, but there's also like what we could strive for. And I am still wondering, I had asked as a first student, never, never necessarily received it, like what, what best practice looks like? What's your contract with the town in terms of like, what best, what does a, a bus, a busing relationship look like that truly serves the need of students, student learning? Like what time would they get to school? And what would um, a safe bus look like that allows students to arrive ready to learn? Um, you know, these are just some things on top of my mind. I don't know what else. But I, I would be interested in, in learning more about what our ideal is, knowing that we may not always achieve it, but what to strive for that would be best practice, along with, of course, what I'm sure we'll learn is common practice. But just what else is out there is one. Um, you mentioned he would be looking at possibly, you know, our, our busing pool. I know there's federal funds potentially now a billion dollars or more for electric bus vehicles. And I'll, ho I'll hope look, he'll look at grants that we could be looking for in the future. Um, and then finally, I just wanted to say um, I love the idea that he'll be looking at pricing for um, all of our elementaries to start at the same time. I think that's a persistent yes. challenge that most of the town would probably get behind, not knowing what it costs yet. Um, and in the same way, I'd be interested in knowing what the pricing would be if we were able to start our um, middle school. If, I mean, there's a lot that would go into it. Um, and so this would not just be done because the pricing was right. But the middle school and the high school possibly starting later and at the same time so that students were um, able to get to school around that ideal time. Uh, that supports learning and development probably 830 just just wanted to mention it 
Okay. Just for the point of learning and then decisions could be made in the future. I don't, um, I know that I don't know better than, than the two of you with transportation, but Keesling Transit, is that some one that plays in? And there's also a Canton-based one right on Neponset Street. I'm sure there are people you've looked at before, but they, they don't fit the mark. The Keesling Transit out of Franklin? I'm aware, aware of them, um, but I haven't. Um, okay. I don't know. And you mentioned regionally too. What is covered? I'm not sure that they regionally cover most. Um, most van transportation companies right now are at full capacity, yeah. mm -hmm. um, sure. and um, that is both like they m most don't have vans sitting. Um, so right. uh, the staffing shortages is on the on the larger. My apologies, I was trying to look up, remember, the name of the place on Neponza Street, and I can't find it. <laughs> the company that was originally owned by Fidelity, and then we spun it off. It might be it. Yeah, big limo service, all, all sorts of transport. All sorts of transportation. Yeah, if we were to continue with the smaller contracts of all the smaller vendors that might not be the large vendors, would it be helpful to have maybe or hire an FTE or half FTE that would help you manage that? Because you're... One of the things that you were mentioning is if you're managing four or five different smaller vendors, it also takes a lot of time and administrative time. Yeah, so um, I, I want to wait for the consultant to do some work in terms of what does it, what does a contract, what does the best contract look like, and what does, um, and how do we put this out to bid? Um, and I think that would determine then how would we need to manage manage it. Um, if the recommendation is, is is right now that we need to move to. Uh, multiple smaller companies in order to um, mm -hmm. get the service that we need yeah. then that might be a requirement and, and we might need to staff something um, and uh, I'm hoping um, that we don't you know uh, Rich was a superintendent of a um, of, of a, uh, a collaborative I believe um, lower pioneer um, he has a lot of, of um, expertise in this he's done over 200 transportation studies across the country um, over the last few years um, so I I'm confident that he came highly recommended um, I I'm confident that he'll be able to provide you know kind of what you're asking for right what is um, you know uh, it's not just what everybody else is doing it's it's what um, what should we be doing right. um, and how do we build that and then locally what what would we need um, yeah. mm -hmm. and that and that might there might be a need because um, it sounds like you have been able to figure some of these things out by bringing all of this extra added changes but we didn't have the infrastructure to support all the changes so you're having to jump in and manage all of this extra and some thing. of it is twofold right we, you know it's um, different people doing some different things because of the challenges um, and so um, you know others kind of stepping in and, and taking the lead on, on some things and um, and it's difficult and so I'm thankful to everybody that has uh, stepped up and supported um, the efforts kind of across the district um, and that happens team approach but uh, not always a sustainable approach if that's right. Um, right. If, if it's going to continue to right. your point right. thank you all right any other commentary questions all right, that, that did take a while, but I do appreciate everybody's um, time and answering and, and, and actual questions. I appreciate uh, for a student having been here this time mm -hmm. matters um, and hope that we continue to see progress there. And I definitely as a, an action item, we will plan to follow up and have a meeting with Van Poole. 
Okay, moving on to the next item, uh, which is G1, new business. Um, we have an update from Principal Sperling, who is here with us to share information about the NEAC, NEASC, the NEASC accreditation process. Welcome. Piece of good news while I pull this up. Field hockey team won one to nothing. Awesome. We love good news. Yeah. Okay. Um, so again, thank you, and, and just a, an opportunity to kind of give you an overview of, of what the NEASC accreditation is, where we are in the process, and kind of the work that will lead us ahead through our um, ten-year accreditation process. So this is the 10-year cycle. This was going to be our cycle, and we actually, when I got hired um, last year, we asked for a one-year postponement. Just coming off of COVID, new administration, um, just to make sure that we could do it right. So we were granted that one-year postponement. So the dates that you see here, just push them forward by a year. And this is the cycle that we're in. So we're currently in the self-reflection process. Um, from there, it's sort of full circle all the way back to um, 10 years from then when a new new process will begin. So for schools, this is an ongoing process. It never really goes away. Um, it just is sort of larger chunks of time when you're working on different projects and at different phases. We're sort of at that consolidated front-loading aspect now, um, and then we'll kind of move through where we'll have a little bit more time to put some action steps in place. So um, the timeline in the process for us, uh, so again, the summer of 2021, we requested a postponement, which was um, certainly granted. They understood exactly where we were. Uh, so 22-23, we are in our self-reflection process now. So that involves really working through a, a very comprehensive self-reflection uh, tying to the standards, which I'll get to in a moment, uh, that NIESC sets out for reaccreditation. Within there, there's the expectation that we build a steering committee um, and that we compose and submit that self-reflection report with accompanying evidence. So um, within there, there's opportunities to identify priority areas for growth and we develop a school growth and improvement plan. So a lot of this does tie to the district goals, the school improvement plan, some of the bigger initiatives that we're doing. It, it, they really work hand in hand. It's not a standalone process. Um, and that's sort of the work that we've been doing as a faculty as well is to try to make sure that it doesn't feel like we're doing this just for the sake of the reaccreditation, but that it's really uh, ties into everything that we want to do that we've prioritized for ourselves anyway. Uh, in the fall of 2023, October 4th and 5th is the collaborative conference. So a visiting team of, it's usually four or five people that come out for this one for a couple of days. Uh, they'll take a look. They've already seen the self-reflection report by that point. They've seen what we've identified as our priority areas, um, and we've indicated to them what we want our growth and improvement plan to be. So when they come out, they really take a look and, and sort of see what that looks like in action. They spend time in the classroom. They'll spend time with the steering committee, student members, probably school committee members as well, and just really say, okay, this is what you put forward. Let's see it in action. Let's see what it looks like kind of in a living, breathing high school. Um, they will then give us feedback and some action steps for the next few years, leading up to our uh, decennial reaccreditation. That visit is scheduled for October 5th through the 8th of 2025. That's usually a larger team. It's usually somewhere around six to eight. Um, these are, we get requests all the time. We've had a lot of members of our current staff that have participated in these visits. 
So they've seen it from the side of going out and evaluating these other schools. Mm -hmm. Super helpful for us, for us to do the work on our own because they kind of understand what they're looking for when that committee comes out. Um, Dr. Fitzgerald, who um, Derek had mentioned earlier, he'll be going out to Pembroke um, in a couple of weeks, so he's going to serve on a visiting committee there as well. So it's great for us to just be involved at that level. It is a couple of days out of, out of work, but it's, um, it's important work, and it really helps guide our process. So um, our process to date and kind of where we are. Um, so prior to my being hired, we did have two accreditation coordinators that were identified and trained. I believe Mr. Fogel was one of them at the time. Um, so we've since shifted a little bit, and uh, Nick Fitzgerald is very interested in this process and, and offered to um, step up and become one of our co-coordinators. So uh, him and Dr. Meredith Chamberlain, who had also been trained through this process, will stay as our coordination coordinators. Uh, they'll take the point on a lot of this work and, and as we start to build to the process. Um, we had our NES representative come out for a faculty training, which is sort of step one. That was at one of our teacher-only days to open the year. So we felt like it was appropriate to kick off the year with this work. I had sort of greased the skins a little bit last year that it was coming, and let's get excited and kind of rally around it. So uh, it went really, really well. She did an excellent job. She allowed the staff to sort of play in the sandbox a little bit with the work that we were going to have to do and, um, in a non-intimidating and sort of non time-sensitive way, they could just get in there a little bit and see what the work was going to be. Um, since then, we've divided the staff into five standards-based groups. So there are five standards of accreditation, which will be one of the subsequent slides. Um, a system that has worked really well for this in other districts, including my former district, is to uh, really get the entire staff involved. There are some districts and some smaller high schools that just will do a self-reflection committee and the steering committee, um, and that's kind of it. But, I felt like the timing where we were here and sort of reinventing Camden High School, if you will, after the, the um, COVID pandemic, it felt like the right way to do it to get everybody's voice at the table. Uh, faculty was on board with that. They've been very, very supportive and, and willing to do the work. Um, so there are five standards. There is an expectation that each of those standards has its own narrative report. Uh, so we simply divided the staff into the five standards groups. They were allowed to pick their preference. They could pick their top standard that they felt most interested in. Um, I was happy to, to land that they all got their top choice. So that builds a little bit of buy-in. Um, we also, the next step was surveys. NEASC has their own surveys that are required. There's a student survey, a staff survey, and a survey for families, and those surveys have been out. Uh, we've collected the data, we've submitted the, the data back on the students and the staff. Um, they will then kind of organize that data and get some reports back to us, which I will then get to Mr. Fogel to put it in one of our useful dashboards. I don't know what format they send it to us in. It could just be uh, you know, a master spreadsheet, I'm not sure. So we'll make sure that we get it in a way that it's usable for us. A lot of the questions were similar to some of our district surveys. Um, so I don't expect the results to be very, very different, but a little bit more targeted to the self-reflection work that we're gonna be doing. Uh, the steering committee is composed. We had, uh, the hope was that one member from each of the five standard groups would be willing to serve on the school committee. Uh, sorry, on the steering committee, and represent their standard and sort of be that voice back to the work that had happened on their standard, and that is exactly where we landed. So things are falling in place nicely. Uh, and the self-reflection process is underway. I've used the faculty meeting. I've used one of uh, two of my uh, professional development days already to allow them time to do that work. And it's really important that I build that into the, the year for them. Uh, it's a huge, huge ask for people to do anywhere other than sort of within the time that we have. So um, 
we've got some good work going on now. We've certainly used some more meeting time throughout the course of this year uh, with the hope of finishing. I put June of 2023, but I'd really like to wrap this up by April so that we can spend some time cleaning up that report. Um, they give you a really nice template on how to compile that report, but it takes time. Uh, it's a lot, and, and each standard has a series of principles that all require a narrative, and then all that has to come together into one packet that can be a 50 or 60 page document by the time it's done. So, um, so these are the five standards. Uh, they updated them fairly recently. Uh, most of us that have gone through this previously, uh, it was very, very different. It was very self-imposed by the ASK. Um, felt almost cookie cutter-ish that they really, they were coming in with sort of what they wanted to see rather than what we asked them to look for. That process has changed and I was able to go through that newer process uh, before coming to Canton, so I've sort of lived what that looked like. Uh, it was very affirming to see them support what we said we prioritize. Mm -hmm. Certainly they give us suggestions and some information here or there, things to consider. They can also say, hey, you identified this as a need, we think you're doing great maybe focus a little bit more on this area. So it's a nice collaborative back and forth. Um, so these are the five standards. Again, I've got faculty groups working on each of these. And then these are a little bit more of a, a kind of what they're looking for within those standards. So um, standard five is, is a lot of buildings, operations, facilities, that type of thing. Um, so that can be a little bit less of faculty because we know we're gonna need uh, you know, Mr. Marshall and our athletic director and um, Mr. Lynch and people like that to sort of guide some of that process. But the rest of them, it's great to have equal representation um, and to really allow the staff to sort of to do the work and to represent themselves as they go out and gather the evidence. So that's kind of the 35,000 foot view. We'll have plenty of more opportunities to get you all involved as, as much as you'd like as we go through the process. But um, we're really kind of just opening the door to this work now. And, and so far, I'm really, really pleased with, with where we are. Well, first of all, thank you. This is this is uh, wonderful, and I'm glad we're taking it on, especially at a time when we're about to also embark on um, a strategic plan for the district. So the timing is wonderful. Could you just, from your past experience, because you've helped live through, lead through um, this in your um, professional past, just talk to us a bit about what kind of changes um, you've seen occur and. Yeah what we could look forward to? Absolutely. I mean, even in not being specific to Canton, but yeah, no, what sorts definitely. of things may happen that it are concrete? Usually, so this will be my third time going through it, once in the old regime, if you will, and then once in the, the newer updated standards. And um, the previous version, it really kind of forced schools to use school-wide rubrics that no one really found overly useful. Um, it forced schools to develop advisory programs, even if they didn't have a model that fit for that. They've really gotten away from that. So it felt like, and I'm sure Mr. Follin can attest to that, that um, schools would have to do things for the sake of NEASC, yes. and then they'd leave, and they'd mm -hmm. kind of like, okay, we did that, we satisfied that. Very, very different now. Um, so what it is now is through that self-reflection, we will land on those key action items, and I'm sure they will be in sync with the strategic plan. Um, we're gonna take information from the equity audit and look at things through that lens. Um, some areas that schools have used this process to help are looking at their master schedule um, to really make sure that it's in the best interest of students and teachers, whether that leads to a change in, in the length of periods or the rotation of periods or adds in common planning time or flex periods, um, which I know is, is of a lot of interest to the staff at the high school really taking a look at that. But this process forces us to do it comprehensively 
rather than just sort of, hey, Acton Boxborough has a good schedule, let's take that one. Mm -hmm. Then it doesn't work and we're stuck with it. So um, it can be things like that. I know schools have used it for some facilities and some buildings and grounds improvements. Um, I don't really see any need for that. I think we're in really, really good shape there. But um, the nice part about it is we don't really go in with any preconceived notions. Um, I think we can identify areas that we're very proud of and some areas that we want to work on. Um, vision of the graduate is a huge one. Uh, that we started that process. We did some really good work on it last year, but uh, the goal of that being a true district-wide vision, um, we sort of were okay putting the brakes on our high school-based work to really make sure that we did that right. I have no doubt that will rise um, as one of our action items, as it should, and ties in perfectly with the strategic plan. So it's kind of an open-ended book, which is exciting. Um, that you know where we lead through the self-reflection is is kind of where we land uh, for those priority areas. So, All right, awesome. And then just um, one or two follow-ups. Sure. And so, why why should we care about NEASC? Why should we why should why should we pursue NEASC accreditation? It's a good question, and I will give you my honest answer, and I actually mean this. I do not work for NEASC. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the process is necessary for schools to keep improving. Um, I think if we just let outside influences tell us what we should and shouldn't be doing, and we never really look at it internally, uh, we're just going to be on sort of a hamster wheel. Um, you know, there was a push a few years ago from a lot of superintendents in, in some very high-performing districts to um, sort of break away from NEASC, that they didn't really see the buy-in. Um, NEASC heard that and really changed their system to be more empowering for schools rather than just coming in and sort of, here they come, it's 10 years, we got to do this, and then they're out again. Um, I think it's a really worthwhile process, and I, I think the improvements that will come from it um, will last through those 10 years and really keep us moving, keep us honest to what we said we prioritize. Um, and really making sure that we keep that as our vision and, and kind of our guiding principles. Awesome. I mean, it's, it's clear that it is a strategic planning process. Absolutely. It's about, all about stakeholder engagement and certainly focuses your friend. Any particular focus at all many times can help um, drive outcomes. Uh, so my, my follow-up question, and that was a great answer, um, is just generally, is there an understanding or did, did they share with you any um, background materials or information about uh, success that schools have had beyond feeling and of course this is going to lead to better outcomes focused yep. and engaged but um, like tangible outcomes when when schools have gone through the process and um, seen the type of outcomes that the standards are driving towards in student learning and in the culture itself in the professional practices do they share they, they do, they do see, yeah. and I think that's one of the benefits of having people go out on these site visits, and whether it's the collaborative conference, which is sort of the upfront, the preliminary visit. Um, what they don't do that, that would be great is if it was sort of that same team, or maybe that same team plus one or two members that came out for the, the actual accreditation. Um, I could see both sides of it, something to be said for a fresh set of eyes a couple of years later, but um, no, I think the, the changes that I won't necessarily the changes say the changes come because of NEASC. NEASC helps put those sort of at the yeah. forefront for a school or for a district. Um, usually, again, just talking to colleagues, it's it's things that people have prioritized anyway, and you can really use this process to, to kind of focus in a little bit more. And um, you know, my former district when we went through it, really the, the master schedule was an area that we were concerned with. It had been the same for 
decades, it felt a little bit stale and dormant. Um, that was some feedback that we had received from various stakeholders. And, and um, the work would have happened with or without NIASC, but when it came through as such a glaring priority from all stakeholders, there was really no way to deny it. So, you know, anyone that was kind of not willing to look there or felt like too much work, yeah. it really pointed the entire school with the support of the district in that way. So, um, I don't know if they necessarily would give us sort of achievement data. I think they would look at us and say, okay, you said this was your priority. Here's the steps you're taking to improve it. The data should kind of speak for itself. But, yeah. Um, yeah, no, and that, that just leads me to my final question, which is just, um, and I know it may, it may be hard to, to reflect back and codify at all, but when we went through, and I'm, I'm in support of NIASC, I just, I'm wanting to better understand and help parents and everyone else understand. When we went through NIASC um, the last time mm -hmm. as a high school, yeah. what were some of the tangible outcomes that came out of the process? I could speak to that. Um, so I walked into it right away. Um, the visit happened in October of my first year, 2012, uh, and uh, there was a lot of areas of school that needed attention, especially about access, opportunity, rigor, um, you know, outcomes for, for teaching. And uh, you know, as I was listening, I see it, it provided a roadmap for when I entered into this building. Um, one of their big recommendations were they identified barriers in and levels of tracking, although it wasn't named that, uh, that happened. There were many, many prerequisites. Um, there were multiple levels, uh, and one of the recommendations, the process was actually started a little bit before NIAS, but having, uh, rather than a, a CP1 and a CP2, uh, and then even another level of courses with honors and AP, it was a consolidation of CP, honors, and, and AP, and having that, um, and having that discussion um, in elevating the, the teaching and learning in each one of those particular courses. Um, you know, they identified discrepancies of levels of rigor and outcome and experience. Uh, and then, you know, for example, they um, made a lot of recommendations around the AP. There wasn't a lot of participation compared to other, other schools. Um, very small percentage of, of kids, uh, and the performance wasn't as high as one would hope. Uh, as well. That was with prerequisites in, um, and, and that happened. So we shifted uh, to offering, I think we went from 11 to 17 AP courses, uh, giving students, they made recommendations about offering some variety, um, allowing, uh, 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 removing the prerequisites and having other standards of conversation around uh, making that decision, valuing family decisions and having that be part of the process. Uh, and allowing for stretch uh, learning to happen. Uh, and uh, I mean, I, I could go on and on about a number of different things that they recommended, but the proof is in there in the sense of, if you look back at the data, our, our participation in AP um, tripled and quadrupled. Uh, we did reach that 80% threshold, that was a goal, and we, we went from a level two school to a level one school. Um, there's a number of larger markers that uh, led to success, and I would trace it back to a lot of the recommendations that came from the ask. Um, like Mr. Sperling, you that was even during the very prescriptive time when they when they had uh, those recommendations. But when you take things to heart, you make it your own, and you don't say we're just doing this because of the ask, 
and you use it as a charge to uh, improve as an institution and do right by students, all, each and every student, um, it really can lead to some strong outcomes. Mr. Sperling and I both went through the time when there was incredible pushback from, uh, I attended this, you know, the superintendent meetings, Mr. Grantino was here and he invited me, he said, I want you to see what's going on. NEAS was at a, at a pivotal point where they were done. And I remember they actually held an open forum where they invited principals and they just took feedback. And what they reconstructed was a very valuable uh, system that valued what was happening in schools um, and provided that consult. There is um, strong emphasis around uh, the term accreditation, its value for our post-secondary experience. Um, it's, it's not, it's not like, you don't get a badge or, or something <coughs> that hangs, you know, bless you, that happens, you. that hangs in the uh, in element. But when you talk about accreditation, it means you've gone through steps and indicators. I, we, we have a shared drive where this is in it. If you look at it, there's a packet in there that talks about each standard and the indicators. It is a strong educational document about things that you want to strive for. Um, and I was really proud to see the work that happened and came because they listened to principals they redid like the collaborative conferences and the, tell us what you're working on and tell us what's driving your work and where you think your areas are and we're gonna be part of that continuous learning process. It was really flipped and I think uh, it does mesh well with our strategic planning. It does mesh well with our equity audit and some of the other initiatives that we're working on um, to make sure we're providing the highest level possible. Mr. Sperling, I, I, and I want to say this publicly, you are off to an amazing start. Develop, there's a relationship that happens with the NEASC teams and the, the, the officials that come in. You have that, you have the experience to guide it. You have brought the team of the staff with great buy-in through some very creative instructional design yourself. Um, and, and I think that's the foundational work because the leader sets the tone for how this is embraced. And the fact that they all got their top choice and they're all going to be involved makes a big difference. So this is this is really, really important work. Um, you're going to see updates and it's over a span of time. It will pay dividends in many, many different ways. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad I asked the question. I feel like you, we should have that written down somewhere in terms of all of the outcomes that came just from 2020-12 alone. Um, not to mention the fabulous presentation that you gave helping us be to better understand just how far we can go from the great place we already are. So, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Other comments or questions from the school committee? No. All right, well, again, bravo, and we're really excited to see what comes next. Thank you. Thank you. Stick so it much. around, though, for the next one. Yep. Yep. <laughs> 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 right. And Do right you back have at more you. good results for us? Another? <laughs> no, okay. Right. So, next we have item G2, the MCAS action step presentation. Um, so again, this is sort of picking up on all the fantastic data that, that Mr. Fogel has created and shared and broken down for us and, and really put in a um, bite-sized pieces that, that's palatable to the teachers and the department chairs and, and it is absolutely a work in progress. So I just want to be clear about that, that we are, I think as a school community, as an educational community, and I'll speak for the high school specifically, just kind of wrapping our head around all the potential of this. So. Um, what this is intended to do is just sort of spotlight some of the things that we're focusing on as entry points, some of the sort of responses or supports we have in place currently, 
and then some potential future considerations um, in the near future. None of this is intended to be kind of long term, but just as we go through the, the opening of the school year um, with Mr. Fogel's position. So essentially when we look at the MCAS changes and the impact on student outcomes, there are a couple of key factors that we just want to be conscious of and, and we again have the data to support this. That, um, the attendance, um, sort of some chronic absenteeism, and then students having very different engagement levels during COVID. Um, and we're seeing that kind of, you know, another wave of it now as students transition up to the high school. Um, th th there were kids that during those 18 months were extremely engaged um, and, and could work remotely and, and could flourish in that environment. And then there were some other students that prior to that maybe had uh, you know, very strong academic records and really just struggled with that model and, and there's been that ripple effect. And I'm not saying anything we don't all know, um, but it certainly impacts their test performances as well as it does in their day to day. Mm -hmm. um, another piece that's come up, and I've had some really good conversations recently about this, um, the shift to the computer-based platform. So um, I was having a, a conversation with a math department chair from actually Milford High School and, and he's very into the MCAS world and, um, was on a bunch of steering committees and things like that. Uh, just the, the looking at the computer-based interface as its own learning experience, let alone the content. Uh, so students are coming in already worried about the content, probably a little bit stressed and anxious, and then we add the element of, of using the, the manipulatives and uh, worrying about if they're logging on right and the instructions, and it just added another element that over time, kids will get very used to and it will just become all they know. Um, but that initial transition and that initial rollout, and then we add to it that there was some inconsistencies with testing expectations during COVID where some kids could take it, they didn't have to. Um, it just led to a lot of um, gaps, I think, and, and definitely potential for gaps, and, and we're still sort of dealing with that now. Uh, one of the pieces that came up was specific <coughs> to the, MCAT, the math MCAS, that the traditional version had maybe four options uh, that students could choose from. So. You got a 25% chance, chance of getting it right if you don't know it. When that moved to the computer-based platform, it went from nine to 12 possible responses as kids navigate an individual problem. Because um, each step of the way had its own possible outcomes. And you add that to the, the, a, a timed test with a digital calculator potentially. So there's just those pieces that kids are still getting used to it. And again, I think once they use this platform and, and they get comfortable with it, over the course of a couple of test sessions, it won't be as much of an issue. And I think we're already getting there, but that's a change. And those are elements that I hadn't really resonated with me, to be honest with you, until sort of we had some really good conversations about it. And then some of the focus areas that we've spoken about, it, and Mr. Fogel's done a fantastic job of bringing these to light, is really looking at students not meeting or, and or exceeding expectations. Um, and it's, it's in most of our goals at the building level. It's in all of the department goals uh, here at the high school. Uh, is really taking a look at students and student subgroups. Um, one of the areas that we're really focused on is sort of those multi-year trends where student scores are decreasing. Um, not just a, a one-off, maybe a bad day or a bad year, but when we're able to track the student from you know year to year, whether it's MCAS, whether it's uh, even their academic performance on, on their report cards, um, if there's a continued decline, clearly there's something that, that we need to do better. Um, so really taking a focus on that. With the data sources that we have now, we're able to analyze by individual standard within each class, and we're able to um, analyze by individual student, including their individual responses on individual standards. I don't 
think there's a district out there that has that much access to data, and I really think it's going to be a game changer. Um, we need to continue to keep it manageable. It's you know, and, and Mr. Fogel has done a great job of um, when we use that term, coaching sessions. That's exactly what it is. It's coaching department chairs on what it means from a department standpoint, coaching individual teachers on what it means for their student performance, uh, for their current students, for their former students, and the ones that are coming in previous years. Um, it's been a district priority. It's on school improvement plans. Um, and again, we've got our math department. That, that is their department goal for the year. Um, English department as well, using those benchmarks and assessments um, to really take a look at specific areas within those, not just the big picture, but let's really refine it to some of those priority areas. Uh, science has picked up on that as well. They're doing a really nice overhaul of their written curriculum um, on their own, and then part of that is really looking at where writing fits into that curriculum from subject area to subject area. So rather than just facts, it's that writing, it's that scientific sort of process um, that students struggled with that we know is an area we need to upskill. So some of the current practices and where we are as of right now, uh, definitely an increased use of the diagnostic assessment. So when some of those Again, coming back from COVID and just sort of settling back in and the addition of IXL and Common Lit and kind of getting those back in teachers' hands and, and really letting them uh, wrap their heads around it, use it in a thoughtful way. Um, I think initially it might have felt like, okay, let's stop teaching. Now we're going to do this assessment. Now let's go back to teaching. We found that they're fitting together much nicer now and the kids are having a multi-year experience with those programs that it doesn't feel like just a one-off or are you grading and if you're not grading it, I'm just going to, every answer is going to be C. I mean, that whole thing, and I think we're getting away from that. But we want to make sure because if not, the data is going to be skewed and it's really not going to tell us uh, what we want it to tell us. Um, but that does, again, it gives us targeted analysis uh, for focus and individualized support. So we can really hone in on areas of strength and weakness. What is it, that weakness? Is it a multi-trend weakness? And how do we strengthen it moving forward? Um, the new math pathways, again, gives us a really good opportunity starting in seventh grade um, to see where kids are, to have a lot of data points before they get to sort of opening up to a lot of different options. Uh, to, you know, Mr. Follin had mentioned the, the term tracking that he asked was really against. Uh, we're ahead of the curve on that. Um, I'm really proud and excited for them to see the work that we've done in those areas. Um, I think it will serve as an exemplar for ways to not track kids and really allow students to, as they mature and develop um, as students, that they're not sort of stuck with what they were in seventh grade. Um, and I, I think we're in a really good spot with that. We also offer the, the open before and after school help with all subjects represented, but then our connections program is based on students' term-by-term -term performance. So if we see students struggling at the end of a marking period, there's an physical, actual invitation to those students to join this more focused, um, intensive program for those students based on their performances. And now with the data that we have, we can share that data with those connections teachers so they know exactly what to be working on, open that communication with their classroom teachers. So I really do think we can grow and expand that program as well. And then some future considerations, and we've had some conversations about this as well. Um, I think our alignment with Mass Core and uh, adding that four-year math requirement, beginning with our current ninth graders. Uh, again, we had very few students that weren't taking four years of math anyway, as it is the, the baseline for state colleges. Um, but really prioritizing that, that we value that enough, and we think it's important enough for students that we're going to add it to our graduation requirements. And I, I think we landed in a really good spot. Um, 
that also, again, if there are students that continue to struggle um, as we kind of work with them through the years, that additional year of that math course really gives us opportunities for them to earn their educational proficiency plan uh, that would allow them to achieve graduation even if they struggle on standardized test scores. So again, it's not anything that we wouldn't be encouraging students to do anyway, uh, but it just fits nicely that across all of our students now, they're enrolled in that fourth year of math regardless of, of their performance or their level. Uh, some other conversations we've had is, is the potential for a math interventionist. Um, math can be a challenging area, I think, as kids come up and they've got math specialists kind of along the way that are helping with sort of the general concepts. I think where we are now with very, very laser-focused data, if we put that in the hands of an interventionist that was able to meet with students during the school day in addition to their assigned math class, whether it's you know, MCAS related, whether it's based on their first benchmarking assessment, I just think we could keep that balloon in the air consistently throughout the year, rather than sort of offering these intensive one-month MCAS prep is probably what it feels like to students. Um, I just feel like this would be a more organic way to support students on a daily basis, and we've got the opportunities to do that in their schedule. Um, so again, those are more long-term conversations, short-term, long-term, not five years down the road, but kind of let's take a look at where students are as we conclude our first marking period ends next week. So we'll have a really good sense of where our, our new students are, our new uh, ninth graders, as well as students new to Canton, but also taking a look at students um, at all levels and at all grades <coughs> to see how we're performing um, at the end of quarter one. Okay, thank you very much. This is uh, a terrific update. Um, I think I, I've been talking a lot, so I'm going to ask the committee first if they have any comments or questions. I have a couple. Okay, great. Okay. All, right. All right, so thank you, Mr. Trillian, for joining us tonight. I just want to get some clarification on this. I think it was the second slide, the increased focus on students not meeting slash exceeding expectations. So are we talking about the, the kids who are, you know, obviously not meeting expectations as well as the kids who are exceeding expectations? Kind of trying to help them? Yeah, so we've sort of combined those two categories okay. and, and looked at anyone below that threshold. So okay. we could certainly say anyone not meeting expectations, yeah. but when they sort of come together, it's the meeting and exceeding is sort of that target. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, the next thing I just want to get some clarification on, in terms of um, the before and after school help, who's providing that, the tutoring? So the the... Not the connections, the connections yep, exactly. is focus. Yep. Um, the before and after school, it's a rotating sort of team of teachers. Okay. Um, we've got representatives from all of our academic departments as well as special educators. Okay. Um, and that schedule is, is made public to the students. Okay. So if they know they need math, the okay. math teacher is here on these days before and after. Well, that's great. Um, so it's, it's a great opportunity for them to, it's not, again, it's not intensive, but if a student has a quiz coming up, um, and they really want to just get some extra help, they can pop in before school and there's someone there that can, can help them with that. Is it in the teacher's classroom? Is it in the cafeteria? It's in the library. In the library. Yep. Okay, yep. great. I can tell you that the history behind that was when I, when I entered here, uh, and, and that, again, there was actually some yes observations and recommendations. There was, there was some after-school supervision, and it was general and it was walk-around, and it was actually some, some educators that came up with the idea that they said, you know, what do you think, what if we make this a little bit more student-facing? And what if we made the library available? Because um, there, there's a lot of uh, vision and, and value in 
libraries and media center spaces and in the ask process, how do you make sure it's available to students? And they said, if if we're in there, you know, that can that supervision money could be sort of transferred to we can supervise that space. It's a place where students can go, they can work on things, um, and will be available by our subject area. So it's really there's a lot of educator credit and um, back at that time that has lasted through the years. Um, but that's sort of, a, again, back to a benefit of a NEAS recommendation. And they looked at it and said, why would you just have staff walk around when maybe you can designate a space where they can engage in some academic support? And, and students can be up there. It's, again, it's a very popular place before school and after school for yeah. all different reasons. Kids are working on a group project. They've got some time before the, the practice or the game or the play rehearsal. So there's no stigma either. Kids are very comfortable going there, um, and there happens to be a teacher in a subject area that they need. It just feels comfortable. It's a, it's a good landing spot. Right. In terms of the math pathway, that's certainly something we've heard a lot about. I think we're very excited to have all these great opportunities for students. In terms of um, kids shifting within the pathway, and this is a really data question, are you tracking where kids are going, whether they're going up, they're going down, and the reasons why? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's an area that when I met with um, Don DeBoyd, who's the mm -hmm. math department chair, mm -hmm. uh, we had some really good conversations, and Mr. Fogel joined us for some of it, just about like, what do we want to look at? Yeah. What's an appropriate focus for us? Um, one of it is we want to make sure that, that where kids are appropriately prepared, yeah. um, if they're going to shift those levels. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, but what are we using to base that decision on? Is it, it we don't want it to be anecdotal. We yeah. want it to be based on, um, for lack of a better word, some predictive measures that we know they're going to need to be successful at that next level. Um, a bit of a challenge in year one, um, yeah. and I think we've spent yeah. a lot of the term so far kind of calibrating. <clears throat> Kids were coming in from very different places. Uh, and I had a great conversation with a family this week about uh, honors geometry, and it's a challenging course, and mm -hmm. it is. It's a big course. Um, Students have varying levels of exposure to geometry before they land there. Um, so knowing that, how do we retain sort of the rigor and the integrity of an honors level class, but also support those kids and allow them to find success? So, uh, and the same thing's going on with those new integrated pathways. So one thing, at least I would be interested in, given it is the first year, is maybe getting up maybe a halfway, midway point in the year, sort of have maybe you or Mr. DeVord come in and sort of give us an update how, how it's working, so to speak. Because one term I hear is stag. Yep. And that was, I think, as we heard about the math path, I don't think we heard that term. I guess it's statistics, algebra, and geometry. Yep. So I think that piece of it would be really helpful to get a, a conversation about, and as well as if you were if it's early enough to see trends or feedback you're getting from families. So to come back, um, again, maybe as an action item, maybe mid-year at some point, that would be great. Now, certainly, I do want to ask about the um, MCAS. So I know certainly it's been an ongoing conversation. And um, in terms of adding or, or requiring four years of math, I think ultimately that is the school, the school committee has to vote on that to change the graduation requirements. And I think we'll have to schedule a vote on that because right now we have three years of math. Oh, M Core. Mass Core. Mass Core. What did I say? MCAS? Yes. Oh, sorry. Mass Core. Mass Core. Could have been either one. MCAS and Core. Okay. So, um, so the Mass Core, uh, we would need a school committee vote on that. So, do we schedule? Should we schedule that soon? Well, let's, let's ask some quick questions okay. about it. So. I have one more question. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually, no. If you if you have the math question about Mass Core, okay. yeah. No, I'm thrilled to see it here um, mm -hmm. being discussed as a future consideration opportunity. Class 2026 means this current, current freshman class now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you're talking about alignment with Mass Core specifically related to math. Yes. Is that intentional because there are other areas where you wouldn't be aligned, or is that just because we're talking about math? We were very closely aligned in all other areas. Okay. Um, and we did a lot of research with other schools, uh, similar schools, very different schools, to just see where people landed. And, and there's a mix. Um, I think the majority of schools are understanding why that's in students' best interest. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether it's a, a mass core factor or just best practice to, to give students as many options post-graduation as possible. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, everywhere else, and I think some of the work had been uh, in the, the recent past with the, the world language requirements and mm -hmm. things like that. So. Um, Really, the considerations were what could potentially kick out the other side. Is there any possibility that students would be um, sort of forced down a path that didn't allow for them to individualize or pursue their own interests? And based on a look at our schedule, um, it, it really did not. It, it still allowed kids to have those opportunities to pursue their passions while still setting themselves up for um, the most possible options post-graduation. And that I, is fabulous. And as I say, as far as that goes, I think it was important that you clarified it's not like every kid has to take by their senior year calculus or something. And you know, students, presumably over time, um, will be able to find the right class for them to fulfill that for, fourth year of math. Right. And it will. It will force us to, to take a look at our course offerings mm -hmm. and, and are we providing something for all levels of math mm -hmm. learners or all, all interest levels. But um, I feel like we're in really good shape and, and excited to kind of put that forward for consideration. Yeah, so much in here I love. That I love. I didn't know about this um, before it's after school. It's mm -hmm. um, great. Uh, tutoring, I'm probably calling it the wrong thing right now. Um, uh, whatever that is called. Uh, that's fantastic. Before and after school help, that is yeah. fabulous. What a wonderful, not only marketing, but legit learning tool, which is amazing. And then just to um, hear more about some of the really practical ways that you are um, applying the learnings from the last couple of years and the data that we have to be able to support students is fabulous. Um, related to the topic of the Mass Core alignment, that would, would, number one, occur in your handbook, in your course studies, yep. but then two, it would occur, it would also require some change in our policy manual that lays out graduation requirements. Mm -hmm. So I think that's how we would have mm -hmm. to do it. But I, mm -hmm. anything we can be doing to help support you, you're doing the hard work. You already did it yeah. <laughs> to get to this point. Um, just let us know. But yeah, I would want to try to expedite that and ask our policy yeah. subcommittee to take a look and let us know anything mm -hmm. else we should be doing. We'll do. Thank you. Get the right language or whatever is necessary. So if I can actually just put forward to the committee, this is something I've uh, mentioned a couple of times. As we look at our graduation requirements, I would like to recommend or have the committee discuss um, adding a civics requirement as a graduation requirement. Under Mass Core, we have some latitude about adding, or adding additional requirements. And I think the trend at the state level is to start, is really looking at having more and more civics engagement. With kids, we've certainly done it with the civics in eighth grade, and there's, I think, a civics project throughout the high school classes. But I think to actually have a civics class as a requirement for graduation, that's something for us to discuss. But that's something I'd like to sort of put forward as well. It, it probably is worth definitely having Principal Sperling and his team look into that, let us know. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want it to delay us from oh, accepting no, no, no. No, this is a alignment into the mass core. Yeah, but yeah, it, it's worth discussing because I do think there yeah. is a push towards civics, and yeah. we'll figure out what yeah. the right mix is. Yeah. And yeah, Get your a recommendation on that. Sure. Yeah. There's a couple of things. Background when we when we added the uh, two year requirement for world language, um, we did we did go through policy. 
Okay. Um, and we made sure that it was prepared and voted in by the time program studies. So that document reflected it and it was clear for everyone. So just sort of the institutional part of it. Mm -hmm. um, we won't go down that path now because we'll, we'll give it the time that it deserves and mm -hmm. have Mr. Sperling's team. The civics attention, it actually, in the prescriptive, you'll know this, right? Prior to the 2020 uh, update for NEAS, they had a very prescriptive, you, you must have a civics requirement. They, they had some different considerations there and the state was trending uh, toward that way a little bit and they moved toward the, the civics mm -hmm. project versus a specific requirement. That's my very superficial level as part of that discussion, but it is a good point to talk about to sort of know where it intersects mm -hmm. because NEASC had a little bit of that um, requirement. Am I right on that? Yes. Right, and it, it was backed off uh, because it, 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 uh, it had some prescriptive uh, challenges that they didn't align with and they got feedback with it and the state heard that mm -hmm. as well. But we'll save that yeah, for that. Yeah. But that's just the, the high level and history behind it. It did receive a lot of attention. It, it has always simmered there. Uh, Mrs. Sperling and I have seen the different times when they've tried to bring in MCAS for social studies and have that, and it has never fully launched out of that. So we're happy to, to dive in and get the get the trends and what might be right for the students. My, my only, I want to just add something to that. Um, because you're going through NEAS and you're going through um, strategic planning and all of that, um, which includes visioning, If and I know there are different definitions of being what, what, what being a compassionate citizen would mean, but if we're using citizen in our, um, our vision or our value statement and we think we're developing them, then it's hard to remove the idea of um, social studies and civics as part of that unless we, we we are going in a different direction. I just wanted to say that because I'm sure there'll be all kinds of discussions about being really deliberate about the words we choose and that's one of them yeah. worth discussing. Yeah, and actually just, um, this was a January 2019 um, DESE presentation, but uh, one thing they talk about the state definition of college and career readiness and civic preparation. Mm -hmm. So it's, as you said, it's been simmering for you a few years now. The last thing I just want to, and this is just put forward for consideration, uh, Mr. Sperling, you had mentioned a math interventionist at the high school, because that's, that's a model we see at our elementary schools. So what I, I would like to suggest we all consider is at our elementaries we have the ELA specialists and we have the math specialists. And I wonder if replicating that model at the middle and the high school at both math and ELA would be something to consider, especially as we've come, the kids are coming out of COVID. Mm -hmm. We've seen seen dips in various places. I mean, obviously it's a funding issue, mm -hmm. but that might be something to, um, to uh, again, have those dedicated people, because we don't currently have ELA or math support is a, in that sort of formal role at middle or high, right? We don't. So. No, I think one of the pieces that, and kind of where that came from was, um, with the data that we have now and, mm -hmm. and with some opportunities to to force kids to access that only before after school just you know if it's a student that struggles with the subject area anyway and then we're sort of giving them academic detention and they have to stay again and do it just right. it, it mm -hmm. doesn't land well um, mm -hmm. if those opportunities are available during the school day um, you know built into either periods that we can sort of shuffle around whether it's a specialist going into a certain class to help the teacher, which we're really, we're building a much stronger co-teaching model now as well. 
um, where we've got special educators, a lot of moduli certified in content areas, including math. Right. Um, yeah. But it's 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 a consideration for yeah, sure. Yeah, certainly. So again, it just it's perhaps one more way to give kids support, whether it's ELA or math. Again, especially as they get older and their time is getting shorter in terms of being in school, and to, to address whatever gaps or mm -hmm. or things they may have or needs they may have. So just something to consider. Yeah, I would just say, you know, whatever we can do to be creative and support what you think is the right right, right direction. Um, that that's what we, we want to know about. We know the whole country is struggling with math and reading, mm -hmm. and there'll be fallout, and we're trying to make um, incredible strides. Um, so. Keep us posted, and we'll certainly an idea like that is one that I'd, I'd support. But you know, you need to be grounded in what's sure. what the realities are operationally. So, just along the same line of the conversation, not related only to the high school, but to what Ms. Moran was saying, can we bring this back as a review for both the middle school and the high school? Because I think that that would be of interest. At this oh, point. regarding MCAS. No, regarding the extra support for uh, math and. Um, just outside of the regular oh, before and after school yeah. yes. support. So that it's not only for the high school, which is great that we're doing it, but I do think that we can help the middle school. What are the supports in middle school <coughs> supporting those, yes, those students? Absolutely, we'll make that. So at least having the conversation. Future agenda. Okay. There's an immediacy, though, to this. Inclusion. And, and when we looked at the data, mm -hmm. and then the question came up, we talked right after one school committee meetings around, if you're re reading the data and you're seeing the trends moving from, say, like eighth grade to ninth grade, you know, what do you do? And that, that's what we're trying to access some of the SO3 money. Because mm -hmm. um, that's what that's what SO3 was designed oh, yeah. for, right? So um, how it looks and how it, whether it's, it's part-time and when the, the intersection is, there's, there's some room in the schedule so that they can make, we're not pulling out of courses. Right. That's one big thing uh, that's really important. And then... How do you either get small group or some individual focused work so that there's really uh, some big dividends there? Mm -hmm. And how do we make sure, you know, when they instituted the three years of SO3 grant funding, someone did a really good job of forecasting out educational trends and needs. Right? <coughs> and, you know, when, when we're here, th this is, in the whole scheme of things, not the largest financial lift, but could play uh, really important dividends for particular mm -hmm. students. So that's that's the conversation that we had, and we certainly had the same thing with Mr. Mulhern. Um, so term one's going to show us a lot. Sure. So it sounds like then we could use SR three for this immediate need, mm -hmm. and then look toward perhaps the FY twenty four operational budget process if we want to uh, look longer term to sustain. I'm spending. Money. <laughs> I was just going to say you're spending money that might not be there. I know, <laughs> but we got to talk. So again, just to sort of. Um, you know, how to, how to get those supports for students. Yeah. Yeah. I would say we, we wholeheartedly know and support. Um, there's, there's some structures that are in place at the elementary level that are not quite as mm -hmm. in place at the secondary level. Right. Um, and what I was going to say, I'm sorry, is one, we're looking at a lot of things organizationally, especially around student needs and how to best target and work with that, not just for coming out of COVID, but just good practices moving forward. But a lot of that work and design both comes through strategic planning, but also sometimes comes in the budget process. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, you never can totally forecast what what the budget may look like. But that's where um, we empower the principals to kind of look back and come to us with needs and have some requests. And um, 
that's that's the good thing beyond the finances that can come through a budgeting process. Thank you very much. Principal Sterling, I continue to be super just grateful for you and so impressed with the work that you do. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. This is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So the next item on our agenda is G3, and it is a 2023-2024 school start date vote. Yes. Thank you. There's a memo here. Um, which has my name on it, but I really want to give credit to Ms. Rooney, who uh, does a lot of our, our calendar work. So uh, there's, there's a, a, a construct here around a narrative and then some visuals for you. And what I put forward to you is a consideration for vote, uh, not for the entire school year calendar, but just for the start. <laughs> and we heard feedback from families and staff that um, it's great to know when school is starting, uh, especially if it's starting before Labor Day, and so you know family vacations and stop times and activities can be planned accordingly. Uh, so we tried to get ahead of it. We worked on it as a team. Great collaboration with the CTA, uh, and we landed with um, truly a, an almost identical uh, start to uh, this particular school year. So in what what's proposed to you in this memo for consideration of vote is a start uh, before September one and before Labor Day. Um, on the 28th, the Monday, staff would return. 29th, would come back for a professional development day. Students, as I did this year, would, would start on Wednesday, August 30th, stay for a second day on the 31st, uh, and then uh, would have no school on the Friday. So, again, in the spirit of the words, it says it right there. So, families can enjoy that final weekend, mm -hmm. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, uh, and then come back on Tuesday. <clears throat> and then some uh, delayed starts for our, our young ones. We would have kindergarten to come back on the 5th and Tuesday, as we did this year, and pre-K comes back on the 6th, as they did this year. Uh, and you can see some of the days off that's listed there. Uh, typically, Rosh Hashanah and, and Yom Kippur may land in uh, September or October. Um, I, I forget. I'm trying to remember if it says it in here. But there's... What's what? One of them's a Saturday. I know, one of them's a Saturday, which is why there's only one uh, Jewish holiday listed here uh, on the 25th. Uh, but I put that forward for consideration. I think it's a great courtesy for our, our school uh, community. And on here, you'll see as well for grades 1 to 11, uh, this brings us as an end date uh, as Thursday, June 13th. Of course, there's unforeseen circumstances and then sometimes weather events that could push that out. But that just gives a, a frame of beginning and what the end might look like. So certainly happy to answer any questions regarding this. All right. Um, let me first say I am deeply grateful to you, Superintendent Folan, and definitely um, Ms. Rooney for your work here. We asked uh, to try to relieve some of the stress of our parents and families in planning for their summers and then next year. Um, and this is the first time that I'm aware of that we've been able to even be discussing the start date of school prior to being in January, February of the following year. So we are almost 10 months away from the start of next year's school year. And it, it takes a lot to, to, to back up the process to be um, giving this kind of notice. I hope we can continue the process. Um, I'm just grateful that we're able to do it. And I think every month does matter. And so I'm thankful for that. Uh, personally, the timing makes great sense to me. 
-hmm. I'd be in support. I don't know if there's other questions or comments from the school committee. I don't have any questions. I think it's mm -hmm. great that we're doing it early. I, I think we received really great feedback from families this year. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it just, uh, number one, uh, for all the reasons you said, kicks off school in the right way. Mm -hmm. um, it gets them in. Uh, a little bit earlier so that they're out earlier but also they're prepared come the time for MCAS that there's many benefits um, mm -hmm. that you get from starting school at this time so I like I said I'm just thrilled that we've um, we've gotten to the point where we can talk about this on November 3rd if there are no other comments or discussion from the committee I would ask for a motion to approve this calendar so moved. start date sorry so moved second all in favor? Aye. Aye. It's an aye from me. The CPS calendar uh, with the start date of 2023-2024 um, as presented in this memo is approved. So we have the start dates approved and we'll, we'll learn more about the entire calendar mm -hmm. in months to come. And again, we'll, we'll try and have that uh, earlier than we have in the past. We know things from March, April in, in the past. We'll try to stop that process a little bit earlier in January, February. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, so the next item on the agenda is the capital budget presentation. Mr. Marshall, you have the first read of that FY24 budget to review with us. I do. Thank you. Do yeah. you want to kick us off? Yeah, I'll kick us off. Uh, Mr. Marshall has done a nice job uh, engaging with the town, um, setting up our, our capital budget timeline, uh, and we've also engaged as a finance subcommittee, Ms. Moran, Ms. Gallagher, uh, myself and Mr. Marshall, we've met a couple of times reviewing this. We engage our, our principals uh, and our facility folks, which, uh, you know, technology, teaching and learning, capital uh, projects or items cut across many different departments, and they can have a really big impact. Uh, so the last thing I'll say is we're always grateful for uh, the support from the town. Uh, we had an allocation of $1 million. Um, it has uh, been around that. Uh, the past couple of years, it had a little bit of a bump this year. I think we were around 900000 last year. We went up to a million this year. Uh, it really does allow us to set up our uh, facilities and our um, everyday experiences for our students and staff in a really high-level way. This commitment means a lot. We thank the town uh, for that partnership. Uh, with that being said, uh, there's a number of requests that came in. Far exceeding a million dollars, decisions need to be made. We go through sets of priorities. Mr. Marshall is going to do that. Uh, the other thing that we wanted to make sure that was available for the committee is you'll see that um, the superintendent's request uh, lands at about $900,000. We thought it was really important to give you a foundational element of some of the top priorities, but we wanted to leave at least $100,000 um, for some discussion and for some questions and some movement and some. Uh, greater elements based on uh, our discussion here and through the read. So as a finance subcommittee, we thought it was really important to allow for that versus have it all just done and established because it really should be a collaborative process. So with that, I'll turn it over to Mr. Marshall. Thank you. Um, I'd also just like to thank Michelle Gobi and Lisa O'Leary for the work um, behind the scenes on this. It doesn't happen um, without their, uh, their work. I will also note, uh, before we start, the bottom debt capital section um, is incorrect and you don't have the most recent version in front of you. Um, I will provide that uh, tomorrow. Um, I will talk through that a little bit when we get there. Um, 
but so really what we're focusing on is the cash capital um, at the top. I will quickly um, run through these items and um, I will try to provide a little bit of information as to why we maybe didn't fund something or if there's an opportunity for a different um, funding mechanism to fund a request. Um, uh, so some of the blanks that you see, we will be able to fund in different ways. Um, so it's not necessarily that uh, we don't see it as a priority. Um, I think we can just uh, pull some money from some other uh, areas in order to, mm -hmm. to fund. Um, and then we will still be left with some blanks where we're really looking for um, kind of to gauge the priority of, of the committee in terms of um, how do we fund this last uh, $100,000 um, that's remaining. Um, or potentially make some adjustments to um, what we have already, uh, you know, kind of put forward in the superintendent's request. Um, so uh, you'll notice also in red, um, and I apologize at how small this is. Um, I've been asked multiple times to uh, increase the size of the font. Uh, um, but so anything that has um, red uh, next to it uh, was previously requested um, in another year. And so um, those items often do take priority. Um, so we'll start at the top, uh, Art Wing Corridor here at the high school, some flooring. Um, this leads out of some other flooring work that we've done recently um, and uh, is a priority and, and, does, um, and does need to be uh, completed. Um, the next item is painting of the auditorium here at the high school, uh, beginning to see some flaking on the ceiling. Um, and so uh, it is a priority. Um, this is an old quote, um, an, an older quote. All of these quotes are old, um, but we're seeing large increases um, over what we've seen. This is a problem when we get into capital. I think the town would tell you the same thing. Um, we start this planning sometimes 18 months, two years in advance, and by the time you get to a project, um, you're not able to complete it because you don't have the available funds. So there's some decision making there that, um, that I make uh, based on that. Um, so I imagine that this $19,000 uh, number is low, um, but I would suggest that we, we could probably hold for another year before um, completing this work, and we might need to look at a larger scale project um, instead of just painting the ceiling, which is what this would be. Um, the next item is HVAC maintenance. This is district-wide. This is an annual request that we typically make. Um, it's for... Um, um, necessary HVAC upgrades and repairs that happen throughout the year. Um, it's been funded at different amounts. The original request was 100,000. We currently have it in at 65,000. The next two items are kind of on um, a timeline, a capital plan, if you will, to replace um, tile floors throughout classrooms in different areas at the elementary schools. So you'll see um, the Hanson and the JFK. Um, these are, uh, you know, was a large, larger request that has kind of been phased out. Um, so we do want to kind of keep the progress moving in terms of uh, replacement of flooring of those two areas. Uh, the next item is uh, health office at JFK, sink and locking cabinets. Uh, we're actually going to get this work done this year, um, so that one can get scratched um, uh, through um, some building rental funds. Um, we're able to do this actually cheaper um, than the quote that came in, and so we'll be able to get that one done. Um, kindergarten, first grade quarter, painting at the loose. Um, a lot of white, white walls um, in the hallways of the loose. Uh, really what this is is um, sneaker marks, black marks from kids come out of the classroom, they line up, they put their feet up on the walls, um, and it starts to get a dirty um, feel. Uh, 
to just do one quarter, I don't think makes sense. Um, again, I think a larger, uh, a larger scale project um, that we really need to look at. Um, and so uh, my recommendation would to hold um, for another year and, and let's do a little bit more work to really um, determine what are the true painting needs and, and let's make it shine. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's not, I don't always love just going to put more white paint on walls that's gonna have more black sneaker marks um, in the year after, right? So um, let's put a little bit more thought into the process and um, and see if we can do some fun things there in the hallways um, for the loose. Don't they have the shine program? At loops, that was a great choice of words. Was that on purpose? <laughs> no. To make the walls shine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, screen project, uh, this is window screens uh, that this is referring to um, for a variety of different reasons. Um, but we need to understand the, the, um, the larger scale project and I do anticipate uh, the possibility of needing to do a full window and door um, project at the loose. Um, in, in potentially the, the near, I would say within the next five years. Um, and I do have that outlined in our um, long-term debt capital um, for the loose. We also need to do a, um, a roof project there. Um, I'm going a little off topic, but um, the MSBA has an accelerated repair program um, that typically helps there's like um, boilers, um, windows and door projects and roofs are the three main items that you would use that accelerated repair program. Um, at the same last board meeting um, that the Galvin was voted in, uh, the MSBA also voted to pause the uh, accelerated repair program um, due to funding. Um, and so we had planned to ask for um, uh, a roofing project for the loose, which would have covered uh, possibly 40 to 60% of the cost of that project. Um, it's likely at this point a $2 million project, um, so it would have been a million on us and a million on them. Um, now we're going to be looking to fully fund that $2 million, so that has changed um, the long-term debt uh, plan. And I'm working with uh, with Randy Scollins on the town side to determine how can we best um, do that, uh, where that that roof is at the end of its uh, useful life. Um, the next item also at the loose uh, cafeteria tables and wall coverings. Um, the cafeteria table section of that is a small amount, and we'll be able to do that um, outside. The walls in the cafeteria are a wood paneling. Um, and uh, they don't look fantastic, but it's going to be very difficult that, you know, um, we wouldn't recommend painting them. We would need to do something else um, or they would need to be removed. It's a larger scale project than just kind of sprucing them up. But um, the woodwork needs, uh, it needs something, it needs attention. We recognize that, but it's a larger scale project. Uh, what was uh, presented was, a, was painting them. Um, and I don't think that that is going to look good for a long period of time. Um, and if we do do a large scale project, we need to make sure that it's going to kind of stand the, the test of time. Um, and what happens in uh, elementary cafeterias, our, our elementary cafeterias are not just used for lunch. Um, you know, that those are multi-purpose spaces, tables come up, um, you know, there's all kinds of things that might happen in there. And so you need, you know, you can't just throw some paint on, um, on some woodwork and expect it to last. Uh, the next item is the phase three of the innovation lab uh, renovation. Um, so we do uh, need to move forward with this. This is really um, storage cabinets on the walls um, and furniture um, and supplies within the room, um, final stage of that project. Uh, 
Next two items uh, came forward from the GMS. Uh, these did come forward from, um, from Mr. Mulhern. We had some conversation around them. Um, magnetic door closures. Uh, this is something that was noted during fire um, drills and some fire inspections. In um, many of our buildings, we have automatic um, doors that open. They're on magnetic pins. If the fire alarm were to go off, um, the, magnetics, the magnets let loose and the doors automatically close. So you have fire doors that are automatically closing. Um, that's not the case at the Galvin. And um, in some of these areas, doors are being propped open. Um, and so uh, when a fire drill happens and a fire inspection um, happens, those doors are being remained open, which is a, a violation. Um, so really, you know, given where we are in the MSBA process, uh, I'm not recommending that we really put any money into the Galvin at this point. Um, so we need to work through working with our staff to make sure those do doors are closed properly in the case of an emergency. Um, and we'll work. There might be some other things that we can do in the meantime that won't cost us as much. Um, but this would require wiring and everything all the way back to the fire panel, which is just not something that uh, makes sense given um, the uh, project moving forward with the MSBA. Same thing with the next item, uh, gym bleachers at the middle school. We do know they need to be replaced. The whole building needs to re be replaced. Um, and so I don't think that um, that, that uh, is in the best interest of uh, the district. Next two items are rooftop um, heating and air conditioning units, um, one at the high school uh, and then one at the loose. Uh, these are smaller units. We did just do two at the high school um, that were around $180,000 a piece. So you can see that these are uh, much smaller in scale. Um, so they, they just operate a smaller portion of the building. Um, Next item, put this forward, we've had a lot of conversation about landscaping and grounds. Um, you, you don't see it kind of moved forward and one of the reasons is uh, it's great to go out and, and do a lot of work, um, but I don't feel that we have the adequate staff in order to maintain um, our, our grounds. So my request would be that through operating um, that you know, a groundskeeper or an additional maintenance um, staff member uh, were to be put on before we really look at um, doing some more landscaping around um, beds, uh, trees, you know, just uh, different things that to spruce up um, the overall kind of curb appeal of, of all of our buildings. And so that's what that was the purpose of that request. Um, Next items, technology uh, related. Uh, grade four and five um, Chromebook uh, replacement cycles. Um, so I will say this is the first, I think, um, capital budget in a long time that doesn't have curriculum materials in it. Um, and we've really tried and, and I've pushed to move curriculum materials into the operating budget. I think that's where they belong and where they need to be. I would say that our Chromebooks eventually need to do the same thing. Um, this is just regular. Um, uh, operating expense. Uh, our capital budget really should be reserved for, for one-time expenses mm -hmm. and Chromebooks that are going to continue forever are, I would not consider a one-time expense. Given that, we need to keep the cycle going and we don't have the funds in operating yet. It's going to take us some time. Um, so maybe one more cycle and we would start you know, getting this into operating depending on, um, it, it might be two more cycles. Uh, so that is that request. Um, that's for grades four and five. Um, teacher pilot devices. Uh, so we made some changes this year in terms of um, teacher computer setups. We took their desktops away. Um, they have laptops. This that that 
I just said that we did that. It's not complete yet. That project is not complete, so it's happening. Um, but as we do that, we had desktops that were maybe running different things within the classroom. Now we're, um, you know, our teachers are relying on their laptops to do things both, um, you know, maybe at home, but also in the classroom. And so there's different needs. So uh, there's a request to pilot some, um, some uh, laptops for teachers as to what is the best device um, that would work for them. And so this would allow um, the purchase of, uh, of some uh, devices for that purpose. Uh, next item is a server upgrade. This is uh, kind of a requirement. This is a server that is coming out of its useful life. It is used uh, primarily to house uh, security camera information, and so it is important that we replace that um, server. Replacement printers district-wide, $12,000 request. I think we can um, find some other uh, funding mechanisms in order to replace these printers as, um, as they come up. Where you know, If a printer goes, we have to replace it anyway. Um, so if we don't fund this request, um, it's not that it goes away. Um, and so something that we might anticipate is gonna get us another year, maybe that happens. If it doesn't, we need to find other means to, to make it happen anyway. Replacement class phones, uh, classroom phones. Uh, this is important. There's been a lot of work that's been done with our phones and um, 911 integration and, and how that works. Um, and so some of our classroom phones are just kind of at the end of their useful life and need to be upgraded. Touch view boards. Uh, this would be replacement really for overview, uh, overhead uh, projectors in classrooms. There was a large scale project done. Um, uh, to replace many of those units. Um, and while this is important, this is not, um, this is a small portion, uh, the amount that was requested. And so we, we did kind of go back and ask for some additional backup as to what was, was really needed in the case of something breaking and we would then, then we would need to, to do a replacement. Um, but we're trying to look and see exactly what is the inventory of um, and useful life of what we have in stock and what would be the, the rollout plan of these touch view boards. We do already have some in district that we've been piloting um, with um, and we do need to, um, to bring in a few more. We will try to do that this year, um, but I think we need to look at this on a larger scale um, before we just start buying four or five of them at a time. ARTM upgrades. Um, $10,000, this is a kind of a requirement that allows um, for laptops to hook up. You'll see that here. Um, like there was a delay, I think, just our last meeting. Um, so like some of those upgrades um, to allow presenting um, uh, wirelessly uh, is, is helpful in, in all of our rooms. Laptops for unit e-members, this is phase two of what was presented as a phase, as a three phase. Um, we're working on some grant opportunities that might allow us to fast track this and get it completed in two. We'll know that in April or May. Um, and so if that happens, we, we might not need phase three, but we definitely need um, phase two. And this is to get laptops into the hands of all of um, our uh, EA's educational assistants. Safety and security, integrated security and access control system district-wide. Um, this is a $50,000 request that would really just get us started. Um, this is a safety, um, security kind of and safety uh, request to integrate um, entry systems with cameras uh, and kind of house all of our security um, in one uh, platform and ultimately uh, to 
improve uh, the access of our um, police department with um, with some of uh, access to you know entry points and cameras. Um, they do have access, but it, it's not easy access. It's not as easy as um, what you would see in a new building. Um, I don't think fifty thousand dollars again is enough. Uh, that just kind of gets us started, and I think we need to look at it um, from a larger scale. Um, I will say what. Likely what will come with a new Galvin is going to be a state-of-the-art security system um, Which you're seeing in, in all new buildings and so trying to get ahead of what that might look like too Because it, it's not going to benefit us to have two different systems running simultaneously as well um, So what might a new system look like in a new building? Um, and Can we start doing some of that work in our other buildings at this point? Um, but making sure that everything's going to integrate one once a new building comes online I've seen that happen in other places and you know It just doesn't work entry systems that you know you have three different entry systems that in in, mm -hmm. in a district or um, Different camera monitoring systems and so we really just want to make sure everything um, talks with each other uh, nicely Program improvement, uh, reclaim 154 as a classroom, relocate robotics to 157. Uh, we actually do believe that this is a good project. Um, we are hopeful that it can be done for less than the requested amount of $65,000 or potentially phased in um, over a few years. Um, so as we talk to um, what ultimately you know moves forward, uh, a portion of this amount, I think any portion that moves forward would help them to get started. Um, and it's not something that would necessarily need to be fully funded in um, in the single year, but we do we do support um, the the project in itself. Uh, AP physics equipment uh, is is just kind of replacement of um, of equipment. Uh, the chemical storage closet you've seen this um, many times. Uh, I need to understand it better and, and work with Brian. It's not it it would cost a lot more than what you see here. Uh, this is the internal components, but it would require venting through the roof. Um, which is not going to happen for $4,000, I can promise you that. Um, so uh, we need to have just some more information and, and work with uh, the fire department as well as to what is, um, what's the best uh, solution um, here. And it's not that what we have right now is not adequate, um, but there's some convenience um, aspect of this as well. Uh, performing arts platforms, these are platforms, right now we move platforms um, a few times a year between the um, Galvin and the high school, um, and so this would eliminate the need to do that and, um, and would really help uh, the district and performing arts, um, a variety of different uses actually all uh, throughout the year. Um, technology iMac upgrades for music and theater, uh, we've done this for some other programs over the last couple of years. Uh, these are uh, Macs uh, that have exceeded their useful life um, and need to be replaced. Classroom-based instruments is typically an annual um, request as well, uh, so we do have that moving forward. Lower field storage, um, that is down at uh, the uh, baseball and softball fields. There really isn't much storage down there for our athletic teams. Um, we are going to put a, a container down there um, for right now. Um, I will later be presenting um, a five and ten year capital uh, plan um, from uh, outside consultant. 
and part of that work will be to review that whole area in our fields and I'd like to um, get some more information back as to uh, what's down there. I think there's quite a bit more work that really needs to be done down there than just a storage um, container and, um, and so I'd like to see exactly what that has and maybe we tie something together in a larger project. Volleyball system upgrades for the high school. Um, this does not say that it was previously requested, but I can tell you that it was previously requested um, and is something that, uh, that the athletic department definitely needs. Uh, the next item comes from our wellness department um, for the replace of hoops at the JFK in the gym, um, and that is a, a needed um, project uh, there. Next items into furniture and fixtures. Uh, the first three items are all for, um, or the first two items are for steamers and tilting skillets at GMS and JFK. Um, again, I would not recommend that we do anything at the middle school. There is a need at the JFK. Um, I need to have some more conversation uh, with Martha regarding this, but we did talk about having um, a large balance in our food service revolving account. Um, this would be eligible expenses to use some of that. Uh, you know, we do want to use some of that money in order to um, help improve the program. At the same time, we need to have a sustainable approach and, and I would consider most of those monies one-time type of monies. Uh, it's not gonna consistently build. So um, taking some of that uh, for some of this, I think will, will certainly help across the board. Um, so that's why we do not have those funded. That is the same with the serving line at the JFK. Uh, visual arts replacement furniture, um, district-wide, is a relatively small request uh, and reasonable. Elementary library furniture enhancement. Um, we've made some changes to our elementary libraries um, from a tech standpoint and got some more of our tech folks in the library. Um, with that is coming um, a request uh, to kind of update our furniture um, and, and the overall kind of look and, and feel. So there's some work that's being done right now to design um, some of that. Uh, this would possibly be a phased in um, approach as well. And lastly, vehicle. Um, so we, we have a Bulldog van that was uh, donated to the district by Rodman. Um, it has served the district well and is, is used by a variety of different um, departments. Um, and there's, a, a, I think, a, a need and an ask for another van that is similar in size uh, for two reasons. Um, two, uh, I think, would be used and, and well used. Um, at the same time, uh, what happens when our current bulldog van um, goes away and and, um, and is no longer you know kind of exceeds its its useful life, and so uh, replacement there, um, we don't have this funded at the moment. Um, it is something that I think we definitely need to do. I prioritize an additional school bus, um, full size school bus, uh, given our aging fleet. We did. Um, I did uh, heavily review the, the EPA um, funding for electric uh, school buses and we were not eligible um, based on the age of our buses that, so you, you basically have to pull um, a current bus out um, of uh, service in order to make that happen. It has to be a route bus and we only have one route bus meaning Canton Public Schools, and we, we're replacing that right now. That We have a bus that's on order that will be here from Capital from last year. So we were not eligible under that. Um, we will work with any of our vendors in terms of um, trying to electrify um, the larger fleet uh, that Canton uses but doesn't necessarily own 
Um, and so that is uh, the reason for another school bus um, request that's here. And there's also a request for a maintenance vehicle. We have one current maintenance um, employee that drives their own vehicle um, between buildings and does not have a truck. So um, this would um, allow, this would, it fixes two problems really. Uh, it, it gives our plumber um, a vehicle um, built more for the work that they do and to carry their tools with a utility body and then um, pushes that truck down um, for uh, another maintenance staff member that does not currently have um, a town vehicle to drive during the day. So that is cash um, capital, um, just high level in terms of uh, debt capital uh, for FY24, we would be looking at uh, an additional $270 to complete the unit ventilator project at the JFK, um, and an additional $275,000 for brick repointing at the Rodman. Um, we have some uh, kind of severe work, um, exterior brick work that needs to be done all around that building. Um, we have $675,000 in this year's um, capital to start that work. Um, we expect it's about a million dollars um, worth of work by the time we're all done. Um, 2025, uh, 300,000 um, for a rooftop unit uh, number 10 at the high school and that would complete um, the large rooftop units here. In 2026, $1.7 million for the loose roof. 2027, one million dollars, and this is you're not. This is not what you're seeing. Oh, okay. I was gonna say. I <laughs> um, so what you have is wrong. That's why. Yeah, sorry. Um, Twenty twenty-seven, a million dollars reserved for district-wide air conditioning. It's very exciting. Is that the applause? Line? Is that the dramatic? Yes. <laughs> 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 I'm very happy about it. Yes, it's a long time out, but yes. Um, and um, and then twenty twenty-eight. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um, 2028 uh, uh, window and door project um, for the loose as well. Uh, and so that would, that's the five year. Um, I say all of that and um, when the experts come in and tell us what is really wrong and what the uh, anticipated costs will be, um, that will likely change. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> that's the most dramatic reading of a capital budget first read ever. <laughs> That's You're very lot. disappointed, yeah. aren't you? No, I, I know it's not soon enough, but we're, uh, we're getting there. Yeah, no, and the fact that it's on the paper and in the plan is amazing. Yeah. So, um, so thank you, uh, everybody involved, subcommittee. Uh, I think this is a great um, first shot at, and, and there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just a subcommittee. It's all the principals, all the teachers, everybody, all the staff involved in figuring out exactly what's needed and making hard choices and then creative choices about how to get to where we um, want to be. So I have a question and that is about um, the spots that remain open. Um, and your, I mean, I know we want room for discussion, but also your recommendations in terms of priorities. The mind obviously goes straight to for me, my mind obviously goes straight to transportation, um, only because we've been um, talking so much about it. Um, but also in some other cases, I, I wish that there was more granular information, like the landscaping and grounds improvement. They get, you know, at one point I talked to Maureen and she had this you know, great 
idea, which was around just like planting trees to help create some shade in heat zones that are right around the schools, things like that, that might not require um, uh, Means. huge maintenance, yeah. but could over time, same thing, 2027, create some dividends uh, around playgrounds and other areas where, cap, you know, where we're purchasing these shade sales where trees might do the job. But anyway, um, I'd, I'd love to hear priorities for some of the, the blanks and just thoughts on getting more granular in, in some of the areas, not just landscaping. Okay. I've got a few, but yeah. All I would say is I think this is a first read mm -hmm. and I think maybe digest it because mm -hmm. yeah, I could go all in, but it's like 925. Mm -hmm. And I think probably we're pretty much done with it. So I would say maybe digest it, read it, and then the next time we come back together, because we have to vote on it for when? We do need to vote the next meeting. The next meeting. Oh, okay. okay. I, I, can, I can jump in and give three bullet points, mm -hmm. just, just going through it one more time. And uh, one is the, the some version of a, a passenger van. You know, because I'll, I'll tell you, if that Bulldog van has, has some issues. There's a gap there in yeah. how we use it. So yeah. we also just have an increased need for it. And it provides a nice service, yep. be it for students during the day, um, smaller field trips, or athletics. Mm -hmm. it's, it's We're so grateful to the Robin family. Um, it has paid dividends over the years. Um, so we're thankful. But I think we have to prepare, and there's more need for, for transportation internally. Second one that I would say, the next two are, we're trying to get a little bit more information about specific needs around the touch view boards. They're mm -hmm. fantastic. This is an example uh, of one here. Uh, actually, no, this is a monitor. Um, at one point in time, I think we might have had one here. But it's, uh, there's something I think if we can get very specific uh, versus the entire amount that's there, mm -hmm. we might be able to make some inroads. And the other one I might recommend uh, is that shift uh, from a science classroom where the robotics team is into the, what used to be the CAD room. Um, it's a really good shift, and here, here's the backstory with that. We have a teacher who teaches physics and does a lot of um, project lead the way work. Uh, so you need sort of the experimental space that's built into the classrooms. Um, right now, he's also a math teacher, and he's in a traditional classroom. It doesn't allow for um, that full level of experimentation. If we can move the robotics room, into what used to be a CAD room that required a lot of specialized uh, computers and uh, that it, things have just changed with, with that. So to be able to shift the robotics into that room, provide maybe some measure, if not all of this, some measure of furniture so that shift could happen, phase one, phase two, um, it really would benefit. The project lead the way has been fantastic and what that allowance and to have that space be matched um, that learning be matched with the appropriate space mm -hmm. is a real priority. So these are, that's three that jump out at me is really impact moves. And we don't have to allocate the exact amount of money that's listed here, but mm -hmm. just some inroads on that. I have oh, go ahead. One, one more thing, one last thing. So one comment and then one more question. And that is just, um, I, I um, would have also asked for granu more granular detail. And so it would have been for the landscaping request and it would have been for that that um, science or the classroom transition just to find out more about what's involved and what could be funded. I, I have my, my other question is about the, I totally get bulking the whole project at the loose together, um, with the windows and the roof and 
everything else that's going on. I, I can only, I haven't been in every classroom around the town, around the town, so I don't know. I just do know that there are classrooms that are boiling in that school um, come May and June, and they're they're not allowed for the most part unless there's a special health reason um, to have even the portable air conditioning. So I, I don't. It, it seems, uh, you know, to me just not supportive of learning or comfort um, to, to maybe, you know, same thing, maybe maybe it's less of a cost, maybe it's just those rooms that are really affected and don't have, I, I don't know how to do it, but it's just something that comes to mind for me is just how, how hot it gets in that school um, when uh, the summer, in Starts the, yeah. the late months hit. And it may be in other schools too, that one in particular. So I'm going to give a couple of pitches kind of based on this. Since kindergarten, I've been yep. aware of it. I was yeah. just blown back by how. So one thing we talked about in terms of the landscaping is the, the conversation we had was we, it doesn't make sense to allocate money without having a landscaper, so to speak, or a groundskeeper. Mm -hmm. So what you talked about in the, on the operations side, um, adding so a groundskeeper position, and then maybe on this side, offering some seed money so that person would have some sort of budget to work with. So whether it's, mm -hmm. because again, I mean, right now as our, our grounds are such that, you know, custodians have to do it, but as someone, as a district, we don't have something dedicated. So to, to your point, I would say that if we had a groundskeeper and we had some seed money for that individual to work with, we could start talking about what are some of the easier or low-hanging fruit in terms of some of our, our shade issues. Mm -hmm. So yes, at the loose, you've got the, they had done some plantings there a few years ago. They're not sort of shade trees, but right as you walk up to the front door, um, I would be curious if we could maybe move those trees somewhere else and throw in a couple of sh you know, shade trees that will grow quickly over a couple of years and start to give some shade to the front of that school. So so my, you know, in, in the conversation, I would say to the committee, um, on the operation side, if we do add a groundskeeper, the pe this would be the ple piece to build in. I think the request was for, uh, let's see, um, $100,000. Do we start with maybe $25,000? So that again, that yeah. if we do, do include help that higher, that individual has something to work with. Right. So that was one thing that came forward in the conversation. Um, the other thing that you know we talked about is, in terms of the uh, the middle school, the kitchen. Is there a way we can get them something? You know, again, it doesn't make sense to replace all the equipment because the school, but as we talked about, we have students there for likely another five years, give or take. We have staff there for another five years. So is there something we can um, do to, to, to give Mrs. Lawless and her staff some accommodation to help better serve, you know, whether this it's staff and, mm -hmm. as well as um, students, student needs? And possibly something that could be moved to a different school right. afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. Um, the other, the other, and I had just asked, asked some general <coughs> questions about how, in terms of the Chromebooks, we, we obviously need to have replacement cycles. We've invested quite a bit of money in the Chromebooks. We worked on an inventory situation. So I, I don't know where we stand, but so not only, you know, what's out there, what do we have, what's perhaps how, how we've utilized, have we had to utilize the insurance? Um, do we see sort of patterns of behavior that maybe younger grades have more breakage? I don't mm -hmm. know, but. So I know, Mr. Marshall, we talked about that is sort of an, you know, a point of information as we look at our computer usage and how that might impact how we purchase things going forward. And the other thing that jumps to mind, again, we have purchasing instruments. It was sort of a similar thing. You know, we've got some large, I think large 
three you know, very expensive instruments. We obviously keep instruments in school because kids either can't transport them on the buses. But um, at, in, in the warrant, I see a lot of instrument fixes and repairs. So we had a conversation about how does that work in terms of how our students use our instruments? Do we have replacements? I mean, because these are roughly $5,000 each instrument so that we're, we're being asked to purchase. So how do we manage a highway? Not only do we as a district utilize those resources, but also um, how are our students understanding their responsibility in using uh, our district resources? <laughs> Waters, thank you. So Did I? Huh? I'll get one more. Thank Keep you. talking. I'm good. I have one. You sure? Folks? Yes, thank you. Um, so, uh, can I, can I make a comment before sure. you answer it? Uh, I was just looking at overall at the section of the cash capital, and it seems to me that we need to give a little bit of attention to the loose request. It's uh, just from looking at it, I know that there might be needing longer term money or, or more bigger projects, but we're not give from what I can see here at least. We're not giving them anything to improve some of the in, inside of the of their space, so that might be something that I would want to consider. Like as we're splitting the money and the resources, mm -hmm. make sure that we're equitable as well as, as we're doing that. So, as as I think Mr. Holland outlined, when um, the, so the administration started putting the, just the this budget together, they left some play of about a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars, which I think is great because that engages sort of initially the finance subcommittee, but then the full committee in that process. And I will say, it was just a few years ago, I would say, pre-pandemic, um, with Mr. Marshall's predecessor, that we were given seven hundred fifty thousand dollars by the town. So we're up to a million dollars within a very short window of time. So that's tremendously generous on the town side to give mm -hmm. us all this money to support the school. So I just say that because it is quite a, it is quite generous. But so to your point then, this is sort of the conversation of, you know, there is a bit of play. So what are committee members interested in, in perhaps either adding some funding to or, or tweaking the funding? So that was part of, going to be part of our conversation um, this evening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will say, I mean, the, it's, um, it's high school heavy when you look at it. Um, that there's a reason for the middle school. I think we can all agree upon that. Mm -hmm. Although we still we, we have to understand we still have kids in the building yep. for four to five years, so we can't just let it go. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so I hear you, and I, I see the same thing when I look at this in terms of um, you know trying to allocate across the district. Um, the Hanson as well. You know, there's a small eleven thousand yep. dollars foreign project in here. So um, so. I, I'm, I'm with you there and I think that we you know it is important that we take that into consideration that's absolutely the kind of discussion that I think we were looking for um, in order to then make some additional decisions and, and put something um, you know tweak this and, and, and bring it back and I do have um, some inventory information oh, um, from the shore okay. and some uh, uh, repair um, type of information great. insurance information regarding all of the Chromebooks that have been deployed and so I'm happy to, to share that Perfect. as well. I share that same thought about um, being equitable as much as possible between the schools within reason of what right. the requests are and not in the, the spirit of just being equitable, putting something forth that doesn't hold as much weight possibly as something else on a limited budget. Um, but perhaps if we're incorporating inside and outside, if we're talking about landscape I'm, I'm bouncing it back and forth in my head right now the landscaping piece being kind of an investment there versus 
Yeah. I mean, it could take on, it could take on, you know, we may see it here right now, we're thinking about it in terms of painting or whatever, yeah. but maybe it's becomes the outside. outside. The outside. Right. So, I, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, I, would, I would suggest, the whole conversation is great, I would suggest that the projects that we prioritize are those that definitely have an impact on student learning mm -hmm. and reach and support the greatest number of students. I mean, like just to try to help prioritize, I, I do think right. trying to be equal or close to that um, through the schools makes good sense and I, I do also, I, I don't want to minimize um, uh, upkeep of the aesthetics because I do think that affects pride and it affects the way you value the experience you're having in those schools. So I think that's important too. But just, um, I, I would say, I, I, I like to use a, a good barometer also, just how, how it may affect learning and um, the, try to affect the greatest number of students who can. But I'm open to what the priorities need to be coming from admin. I think that it is important that we think about the vast number of the students that we're touching, but thinking about the, going back to the loose, like if we have the option to impact one area that will significantly make their days brighter and more energized for learning, then and it's not a huge amount of money, then I think that we should cons at least consider it. Yeah. It might not be the biggest, largest school, but it might have a big impact with less money than other big projects, and I think that it might be yeah. something that I would support investigating. Is this an area of the wing that's being discussed that's near possibly the gym that's rented out? Could there be, and I'm just doing out of the box thing, where the rental fees that have, go towards renting that gym could possibly be somehow subsidize some of the work being done if they're actually connected? I mean, so we utilize those building rental fees on a yearly basis for a variety of different projects. Um, so yes, um, but I would say that um, even though many feel that they pay a large amount of rental fees, they, they don't compound um, to the level of, of this type of project. Um, so yes, I mean, the answer is yes. Um, and you know, even Mr. Sperlin and I talked about, you know, how do we allocate more of the building rental revenue towards the individual buildings? Um, share in Chinese school, rent at the high school. Like, are those funds, you know, they're, they're not, they're not always just used to go back to the high school, um, but I think they should be. Uh, we haven't been tracking the revenue in that way um, up until this point. Uh, we're starting, um, so understanding what buildings are and um, uh, you know, it's difficult for our principals sometimes for rentals to happen. Um, you know, it's uh, there's things that happen over the weekends, right? Um, and so. Uh, there's more buy-in and more engagement from our principals if they know that money's coming back to my building, right? right? right. Um, so uh, I absolutely agree. Um, I think some of these projects, though, um, exceed that, the, oh, sure. you know, that piece. I'm just thinking if it could knock it down 50% or any amount absolutely. that makes it yeah. more palatable to approach on right. to. So what I'd like to suggest, because we have a, a finance subcommittee next week, correct? Yes. So what we can do is perhaps take the feedback we're hearing here and perhaps if each of you want to email once you had some chance to digest it, mm -hmm. some either specific questions or some specific feedback, um, I guess just individually. Yeah, yeah, one at a time. In addition to what we already said. Exactly. Yep. And then we'll revisit it at our finance subcommittee next week and have 
and then perhaps come back with either a revised proposal or some additional second read for exactly. us. Yeah, does that sound That'll good? That'll be great. Yep. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. We're getting on there in the night. Um, so the next item on our agenda is a quick item G5 MSBA update. Yes, thank you. And I'll be I'll be quick with this. We covered most of it uh, last week. It's in the Citizen today. Uh, it was part of a press release we put out, and it's really, really exciting. October 26th, uh, Canton Public Schools, the town of Canton, uh, and the, the GMS project has moved forward into the feasibility phase. Uh, the feasibility phase moves, moved us out of the uh, eligibility phase. We really uh, moved through that element in a very efficient way, thanks to a lot of good work by a number of people and one big portion of it was uh, thanks to the, the residents of Canada town meeting mm -hmm. for a 1.5 million dollar allocation for that for the feasibility starting to happen that was seen and noticed by MSBA we were scheduled to get on the on the docket for the shift of feasibility in December uh, but because there was that financial investment in our documents were up to date and ahead of schedule we were placed on the October meeting voted in uh, to move forward which is just continued excitement um, it is a long long journey we are now in a, uh, a phase that takes 20 to 24 months uh, so nearly two years um, and then there's still so much more work after that but it's all gonna be worthwhile um, and it really uh, tonight is just to kind of talk about uh, briefly that the school building committee met for the first time last night and uh, it was a great group of stakeholders across uh, town officials because truly MSBA's work intersects uh, with the select board and uh, the CEO of the town who they determined to be uh, the select board chair, uh, engagement with the school committee chair and superintendent. Um, and that's how they're structured. They work with procurement officers, Mr. Marshall is ours. We also have Mr. Scollins uh, for the town. So. Uh, in addition to that, the school building committee has school representatives uh, and also <coughs> community members uh, and, and folks on it that are involved with uh, construction. In this town, there's a building and renovation committee, BRC, uh, which has done really, really good work, uh, as Mr. McCarthy mentioned, since 1992, um, and has overseen a number of projects, including the renovation of this high school. Um, so. With that being said, um, I just want to name and, and thank folks that are on the school building committee. Uh, it's a long-term commitment. Uh, there'll be folks that probably come in and out of the committee, uh, but we had a really great start and a great group, and we have work ahead. Uh, so myself, as a superintendent, I'm chair of this committee. Uh, and Mr. Marshall, uh, he's part of, uh, obviously, school department, but BRC member and uh, a procurement officer uh, certified, which is key for this process. Uh, John Conley right now is the select board chair uh, and in, uh, is the CEO uh, in the eyes of the MSBA with mm -hmm. regard to the town of Canton. We have Christiane Miranda, who is the school committee chair and also a member of BRC. Uh, Bob McCarthy uh, is the BRC chair. He's been an incredible help all the way through. The school building committee, based on the structure in this town, is a subcommittee of the BRC. Um, so MSBA is well aware of that structure in the town. Uh, and they've been very um, thoughtful about how to make sure we meet uh, MSBA requirements and also stay within our town bylaws and structures. Uh, so Bob Benedetti is also on the BRC. Randy Scollins is our finance director in town. 
Uh, Charlie Duty is our new town uh, administrator. Jonathan Mulhern, our new uh, Galvin Middle School principal, is on it. Sarah Shannon, who is the lead author of the Statement of Interest, is our assistant superintendent. Um, we both have similar experiences of having been in former districts that ironically brought a building right to the point where they're shoveling, myself and Franklin and Ms. Shannon and Situate. Uh, we were sharing those stories at, at the meeting last night. Uh, then we also have our Director of Facilities, and that's Brian Lynch on it. Uh, Mike Lochran, a select board uh, member, uh, was a parent in this community, also was the school committee chair when a lot of the groundwork was being done around the assessment uh, and feasibility of all of our buildings and really set into motion a lot of the work uh, that is uh, happening now. Uh, Louis Tarmy is a senior project manager uh, and has a great background in construction. Andrea Capone is the director of Canton Public uh, Library, uh, community member, parent. Libraries are a centerpiece in new buildings and you know, thinking about that very creatively and having uh, how that happens and having her lens on that will be important. Amy Tom is a um, teacher in a nearby district, has a great view of, of spaces, especially in the science area, uh, and is a parent in our community. Just had a chance to meet her for the first time. Uh, she was great. Andrea Stewart, Stewart, who is a parent and teacher in our community and a local, someone who grew up in the town. Uh, she offered a great perspective in Tina Perez, uh, who's not able to make last night's meeting, but is very excited as a community member and a parent on this committee. So that is the school building committee. We have, uh, we abide by open meeting law. Our minutes and our uh, meetings will be posted. December 7th is our next meeting. Uh, and just to get right to the point, the, the top uh, agenda item and task that's in front of us is to vote and authorize the members that are on the uh, owner's project manager, the OPM uh, selection team, to vote that in. We also have to develop a uh, request for services, RFS, uh, for an OPM, go through that process, get it approved by MSBA, vote it, and then get it posted, and essentially establish an OPM, which is that guiding person that will uh, do a lot of the groundwork uh, involved in the feasibility phase. There is the engagement of a, a design and architecture firm. Uh, and the outcomes of, of this work during this phase are grade configuration. Are we going to have a 6 to 8 middle school or a 5 to 8 middle school? There's a lot of depending factors on it. There's space and where a new building would be built. There is truly the establishing, is it a new building or renovation? It seems to be trending toward a new building. Um, there is the establishment of design uh, and cost. There is, the, there is the element of community engagement um, and educational uh, visioning that happens during this process. So there is a lot ahead, and this is going to be a very busy committee and a lot of fun and good work ahead. So that is my report on that. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. It's very exciting. It's mm -hmm. starting to gain some momentum, which is terrific. Yes. Okay. So the next item on our agenda is G6, our superintendent professional improvement goal update. Happy to help here. Um, and I'll invite Mr. Fogel down and maybe Ms. Shannon too for the learning walk if there's questions around that. So two two quick updates here. Mr. Fogel is actually going to show you some uh, a tracking uh, visual that, that can help uh, with visibility and accountability. Uh, 
but as you know, I'm in the, uh, an NSIP program, new superintendent induction program, and a particular cohort in year two. Uh, so I think I mentioned in an earlier meeting, uh, you go through a progression of courses that are happening. The instructional core was a focus early on. Strategic planning was a focus early on, and equity work was have been the main uh, areas of the classes. What we also appreciate is they've restructured now in, in year two, where we have coaching sessions that are online, so some of our classes are in person, but we do a problem of practice. Um, we go through uh, some levels of reflection. There's a great deal of reading that happens, so it's a really, really strong program. Um, it also connects you still, Mary Bork is still uh, my, my coach. Sometimes it's an impromptu discussion or a scheduled one, um, but it also gives that great network and insight of what's happening at MISS. And to be honest, I didn't know how much work is done at the legislative level and that networking level. Um, and it provides you just one good advice, realize how much work that they do in setting schools up for success and adding really legal and professional counsel. Uh, so that has been a great learning experience. As part of this program, we've had the opportunity to engage uh, with the Ready Workshop, which is a race, equity, diversity, inclusion workshop. I mentioned that our cohort helped build some of the curriculum uh, and the insight. We've gone to two of the sessions so far. The first one was about entry points where equity can really elevate all within in the district and where you have to develop that lens. It could be policy, it could be instructional, it could be something cultural, it could be sense of belonging, um, it, communication. There's all different elements that were part of it there. The last one was a very personal and human uh, learning experience, I'd say. It was based on storytelling. We told a lot of our own stories. We listened to people around our table. There were folks like Kathy Lopes that went up and, and spoke and shared. Um, and, it, and it was a very moving element. It moved away from organizational structure and entry points to a very, very human level. And mm -hmm. as they talked about getting a greater understanding of equity within a district, you can look at data that can show it. You can look at logic and make pitch for it. Probably the most powerful element are to share your own stories or listen to the stories of others or tell the stories of students. Um, and that really crystallizes, you know, in having that lens coming out of that class, I see, for example, um, and I'll just give this just for an anecdote, watching one of our home to school interventionists make a phone call explain the work she's done with the family, that speech Portuguese, had really had a delayed start in schooling because they could not translate and navigate all of the enrollment pieces that would happen there. Had a lot of fear about asking for help or where to ask for help. We had structures in our place here. And the work was set up that the, the young child was um, ready to go to school. And then uh, mom had a doctor's appointment and we use the Bulldog van in this particular case. This is not common use, uh, but we do it in the circumstances where uh, our home to school intervention is paired with another member. If there's a child in need, we go pick that child up. That child was so excited about starting the day at, the, at their school, really one of their first times being in school. Uh, and we didn't want mom's circumstances that were unforeseen to prevent that first day. Phone call gets made, pickup is made, child goes through, is linked up with ML teachers, has a wonderful day, and then our home to school interventionist, Kathy DeMasi, um, 
make sure that the student knows how to ride the bus, make sure mom knows where the bus stop is, follows the bus on her own, make sure it spends time afterwards with the family, and kind of takes apart the day. So that's just a little snippet of a story of how do you make sure you take away barriers? How do you provide supports? How do you make sure that a student who maybe otherwise or a family otherwise may not have had that educational opportunity and that start to happen? Mm -hmm. um, and there's a ton of supports, but they just, they needed that experience and they needed that support. So um, it's gonna be fun to watch that child grow and thrive in the district and to know where and how it started is important for us to remember. Mm -hmm. um, so. In the spirit of storytelling, I share that, that story. And there's so much more to it, and you can pick out different things. The essence that you learn out of a session like that uh, is, you know, you live your own experience, you don't live someone else's experience. When you take the time to listen to someone else's story and know their experience, you see where there needs to be greater opportunity, access, and supports are needed. And you understand also some of the things that you don't have to experience or have an experience and how that can serve as a, as a barrier. Um, and when you take the time to have that understanding, it makes a really big uh, difference. Um, so kind of an emotional day, kind of a crystallizing day, and the best thing is out of it, you take that lens and then you go back to your district and you can see it. And the important thing is to, to recognize that uh, and I know there's all different opinions around equity work and understandings and, and such. The other thing is I'm willing to talk to anyone that wants to talk about it, even if you have a different perspective, because that's the thing that we learned too. You know, everyone has that good heart and they, they come at things in a different way. The more that we can listen and talk and think about it and embrace folks that have different perspectives, we're going to be better off. For sure. Um, so, that's some of the learning uh, that has come out of these classes. Um, Ms. Shannon is right there next to me, and I think she would agree that they've done some really good work. And then it's not, it's not ramping down, it's ramping up. They, uh, they are in a model of application, so we had to sign up for some next level of applications. I looked at it and I said, I thought this was four classes. And, uh, <laughs> right, didn't you? It's more. It's more. Um, so we did that, there's, there's also a capstone project uh, involved with it, and um, I, I just think it, they, they did a really, really nice job. It's gonna help intersect and guide our work here. Uh, the next part is two updates, and I, I know we're long on, on night, uh, but I wanted to spend that time about the learning that comes out of the, the classes, is we've had the equity audit process, we're well in a way, we've had standing meetings with the team, we completed our survey work, our community interview work, uh, we've given opportunities for school committee uh, to, to have that happen. They have our data, um, both both our numbers, our, our, our artifacts, and they're really going through it um, and making some recommendations there. So we're well on our way with that, that one particular goal. You know, the one thing that we did learn through is an element that I can see us transitioning our goals where an equity lens or equity thread uh, in the spirits of elevating all is a thread through all of our pillars versus one particular pillar. That was emphasized uh, through the workshop and just an evolution there. I, I like where we are because it put the emphasis on getting really good recommendations and it tied well with strategic planning. Um, 
when the case was made to have it be something that lives all the way throughout all of your pillars, um, it, it, it lives within context and is more visible and understandable. That's the best way to describe it. And it, it's attentive, not on its own, but in all the different realms of schools. So the other part here is um, we had, we kicked off our district-wide learning walks, which is um, a really an opportunity to see what instruction looks like. It is not an evaluation. It is uh, really for us to, to put eyes on instruction and see patterns and trends that will drive and uh, be part of our uh, collection of information that defines a uh, high quality uh, instruction, high quality teaching and learning in the district. And that is something we all agreed that we need that identity set and that clear set of expectations for staff. Um, Ms. Shannon uh, and, the, and the team of administrators have done a great job about discussing it, know what best practices, setting up protocols, and having look for us in doing that. Being in classrooms and having that lens uh, across all the different elements, it's just a good practice to, to begin with. It's a little bit of a culture shift, um, but it's a really important one where you're able to get eyes on instruction. So with that, I will step off and turn it over to Mr. Fogel. We also have a goal of making sure that we have a nice visible uh, accountability system that would be available for the public. So Mr. Fogel. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Fogel. Uh, it was a vision of Mr. Fogel and Ms. Shannon to have a forward-facing dashboard uh, to share progress <coughs> on our district action goals. And so I would uh, like to present to you uh, a draft of our 2022-2023 uh, District Action Goal uh, Tracker and Performance uh, and 